For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. Here we go on a Tuesday edition of the Sports Bash live on 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. I'm your host, Mike Gill. Josh Jennings producing today's show. You out there, we've got uh, plenty to jump into today as the NBA season has come to an end. The Denver Nuggets, for the first time in their history, 47 years, they have won the NBA title, and it was just an amazing performance Nikola Jokic, the first player all time to lead the NBA in points, rebounds, and assists in the postseason. He had an unbelievable run. And I think it should be a positive thing to see for NBA fans, Sixers fans, fans out there alike. Here's a Denver team that nobody really gave a chance, except for me, if you remember way back. Josh and I had a conversation about this. I believed in the Nuggets. I said I like the Nuggets team. And uh, I think it's a good thing that a new team won with a new player that we can now throw into a new level of conversation. And I like this Nuggets team for most of the season. Am I surprised they won the championship? Not so much in the end, but I think them navigating them way their way through the two-month playoffs, I think a lot of people was like, wait and see. Uh, what makes this team interesting is where they are in their hierarchy. They've got a couple young players as a younger team. This is not a veteran-laden team that is at the back end trying to finish this thing off. Even though they have gone through, you know, Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic were drafted in the same draft class. So these are two guys that have been going through. We talk about it all the time. Look, the Nuggets win the championship, and we're giving them all the praise. They've had a lot of failures to get to this point. The Nuggets have had a ton of failures. They've had a ton of things not go their way, including Jamal Murray tearing his ACL and missing all of last season. They persevered through people wanting to fire the coach. This guy's not good enough. They need to get a better there. What they did was they identified their core of Jokic and Murray and the coach, Michael Malone, and they just kept each year incrementally putting a piece next to those guys and just kept getting better and better and better. They didn't panic. They didn't pull the plug. They didn't try to go in a different direction. They did it very patiently. And I think that is something that is lost in sports big time. When your team doesn't succeed, the first thing everybody wants to do is pull the plug and start over. Everybody acts like if a failure happens in this particular season that you can't rectify it and you have to start all over again. Sometimes staying the course and running it back or getting continuity or just building and building and building is what's best for business. 
And the Nuggets last night proved to everybody that if you just have a vision and you stay on the course, it might not happen this year, it might not happen next year, but if you believe in your process, yes, I said that word, that ultimately it could end up with something great. You know, the Nuggets didn't know they were getting Nikola Jokic MVP, possible all-time great, when they drafted him in the second round back in 2015. But once they found out that he was the guy, that's when they said, we've got something here. And they just kept going with Jokic, and yes, they had failures. People act like the Nuggets have been in the finals, and, oh, this team is this and that and the other. No, they've had, all they have been filled with, is failure. That is all they have been filled with. The Nuggets have been filled with failure after failure after failure. But you give them credit. When they hired Michael Malone, Michael Malone was the coach of the team for three years. And they didn't even make the playoffs. When they drafted Jokic, Michael Malone was in his first season. They won 33 games. In his second season, they won 40 games. In his third season, they won 46 games. Those three teams did not make the playoffs. What would Sixer fans do if their coach didn't make the playoffs for three straight seasons? I have the answer. You'd want them fired. They didn't do that. They stuck with the coach. You know why? They identified the coaches and the problem. We're not good enough is the problem. So they kept adding players. They finally got to the playoff. They won 54 games. They won in the first round, and then they got knocked out in the second round. The next season, they went from 54 wins to 46 wins. They won the first round. They won the second round. And they got knocked out in the conference finals to the Lakers. They didn't say, hey, we lost in the second round. We lost in the semis, uh, or excuse me, in the conference finals. Let's fire the coach. No. They came back with the same crew again. They won 47 games. They got knocked out in the second round. They won 48 games. They got knocked out in the first round. Did they fire the coach? No. It wasn't the coach's fault. The team wasn't good enough. But what the coach established there is we have continuity and we have a winning culture. Just because you don't win a championship doesn't mean you're a loser. You've got to build to get to where you want to be. And they kept the continuity with Malone and Jokic and Murray. And then finally, after losing in the first round last year, Losing in the second round the year before. Losing in the second round before that. They finally won the NBA championship last night for the first time in their history. The same three guys that were around for the three losing seasons. No playoffs. Second round failures. Michael Malone. Nikola Jokic. And Murray came along a little bit later than those guys. I think Murray was drafted in the, uh, what draft was Murray taken in? Who was the, um, we talked a little bit about him the other day, I think. What draft was Murray taken in? It was 
Maybe I'm try you try to equate it with who the Sixers missed on or made a mistake on. Murray might have been in the Fultz draft. Was he in the Fultz draft? Um the Simmons draft. That's what I mean. Yes, he was in the Simmons draft. Yes, he was the seventh pick in the Simmons draft. So Simmons went one, um, Ingram went two, and Murray is obviously uh, the best. Well, I guess Ingram and Murray are probably the two best players in that draft. Jalen Brown went three. Uh, all of those players have turned out. Jalen Brown's a pretty good player. That's three good players in that draft. Uh, wasn't Ball in that draft? Lonzo Ball was the third pick? No. Lonzo Ball was in the... Lonzo Ball was in the Okafor draft. Um, okay, well, uh, anyway, Murray goes seventh in that draft. And what year was that? 2016. 16. All right, so he's been around for two of the playoff, uh, non-playoff. So Jokic was there the first year. They didn't make the playoffs. Then they draft Murray. He was. Uh, they didn't make the playoffs his first year and his second year. So Jokic didn't make the playoffs for his first three seasons in the league. Murray didn't make the playoffs for his first two seasons in the league. They didn't fire the coach. They didn't say this is the wrong guy. They saw what this team was doing. They kept getting better. They went from 33 to 40 to 46 to 54. They lost in the second round. So how many people watch the Nuggets last night and see them win a championship and say, patience is a virtue, my friends? I doubt that's ever going to be the case with sports fans, especially in this area, especially in this market. Can you imagine Philadelphia 76ers fans having the patience that the Denver Nuggets organization displayed? And you might say, we've been waiting for since 1983. They've been waiting for 47 years. They've never won one in their life. But since the Sixers started to win, the only thing that the Sixers haven't done is display is patience. You know, they showed patience for three seasons in building something. And then the moment that the NBA decided that I don't like your patience, the Sixers' patience has been essentially thrown out the door. They have changed front offices four times. They have changed coaches now three times. And every time the Sixers lose on a Tuesday night in February, the fans want the coach fired. The patience is the problem with this organization, and it trickles all the way down to the fan base. You see, if this team and this organization kept the patience that they had at the start of the process, it may have shown them something at this stage of the process. Denver did it, and now they have a title. Philadelphia lost its patience somewhere around 2016, and the one thing that eludes them is a championship. Because their seasons have all been like the Denver seasons. Losing in the second round, a lot of disappointment. But Denver kept playing with the same deck of cards. And you guys in the Philadelphia 76ers all decided, I need a new deck. You keep shuffling the deck and you keep scratching your head. You keep the deck the same. Eventually, the card that you want's going to come out. On the flop. Congratulations to Denver for showing the patience that so many people just don't have in sports. But so many times, patience is the path to championships. And the Denver Nuggets showed it last night. 
You know, I watch that series, and that's the one thing that sticks out to me. We talk all the time about the coach and this and that. Michael Malone was a guy that people wanted fired. He was horrible. He's the worst. He's the reason why they can't get over the hump. Eh. Michael Malone's not this great coach. Michael Malone's not the reason they weren't winning. Michael Malone sets the culture, and he's got the best players. Sure, on the days off when they have to make adjustments, he does some things. But you know what in the end helps? Jokic. Having the best guy, as the NBA generally always does, is the reason why you win. We all would take Eric Spolstra over Michael Malone, wouldn't we? Of course we would. But if you're the Miami Heat and you shoot eight for whatever they did last night from three-point range, eight for 35, I think it was, you're not winning that game. Michael Malone didn't have to be better than Eric Spolstra. He had the better players. And he had a team, you know, we hear about the Heat culture. The reason the Heat and their culture got them to that point is because the patience that they've displayed. They don't try to go out and do all this wonky thing. They had a group of guys that they built together. And during the regular season, when most organizations at 44 and 38 would be talking about what? Firing the coach. You don't hear that in Miami. 44 and 38, they don't look at that and say, maybe it's the coach's fault. Maybe the coach is the problem. Maybe it's the coach that needs to go. Of course they don't say that. What they think is, hey, we got to just keep this on track, keep adding to the pieces that we have. And Miami just went blistering hot for two months. But last night they didn't have it again. They just flat out didn't have it last night again. Jimmy Butler Playoff Jimmy, yeah, it was the same butler we got in Philadelphia, the one that didn't show up in Game 7 against Toronto. That's the butler the Heat got last night. Butler's awesome. He's one of my top five favorite players. But as usual, you can't win the championship. He's not the best player on the best team in the league. You can have the best coach. You can have all that stuff. But patience won out last night. Butler's night, he came gangbustering late in that game. It was a little too little, too late. Their two stars basically got outshined by Denver's two stars. But in the end, in a game when you're the coach, Eric Spolstra, and your game plan is we're just going to try to outshoot you with threes, nine for 35, doomed the Miami Heat. And they had no other answer. Now, on the flip side, you might say, well, Denver didn't shoot it all that well either. They were 5 for 28. Well, at some point, Denver reeled it back in and said, we don't have it tonight. Stop shooting them. But when push came to shove, they had Jokic and the other team didn't. So when both teams aren't shooting well, you take a look at one thing. Not who's the better coach, who's the better player. Jokic was the best player on the court, and that's why Denver won. So you watch those finals, and now you have to say, and the season is over. What is the next storyline to lead into the next season? Well, I look at two things that I think is very interesting. The last two years, Nikola Jokic has won the MVP, and people on the East Coast would say, 
man, he doesn't deserve the MVP. Is he really the best player in the league? And I think we got a chance to see his impact on a game, at least on the offensive side of the court. Defensively, he's not very good. But on the offensive end of the floor, he was, you know, you take a look at Bam Adebayo, who's not a great offensive player, um, who still had a really good series. But offensively, the impact that Jokic had, I think the people on the East Coast got a chance to see what he does and he brings to the table. And you can see that after Jokic won the MVP twice, Embiid wins the MVP, and now hopefully Joel looks at that game and looks at that series, not as, hey, I was the better player in the regular season, which he was. There's no doesn't have to be a debate. Joel Embiid deserved to be the MVP. It's not like, well, Jokic had a better postseason, so he should. No, Joel Embiid deservingly won the MVP this year. But who cares? He was the MVP of the league. Doesn't matter. Jokic won the bigger award. He won the more important award. Hopefully, after Embiid had been on the prowl for two years to get that award, Maybe he got a chance now with that award to see why that award wasn't as important to Jokic and this one was. Maybe Joel can learn from what he did on winning this award. Now he can take that to say, well, what did this guy do to win that award? And if you watch this series and watch these playoffs, there's a lot of things that Jokic does that Embiid does not do. And that does not a knock on Embiid. They're two different players. We talked about this before. Jokic is like akin to, say, Tim Duncan. And Embiid would be more of a guy like a Hakeem Olajuwon. You can win a championship with both players. Olajuwon can win a title. And Duncan can win a title. They're just different. Embiid, more of a perimeter guy who has a lot of power. Far better defensive player than Jokic. But Jokic controls the game, and so many people want to compare these two guys. They're not the same. Jokic almost plays point guard for that team. Embiid is not a point guard. He's not a guy who has a great handle or passing ability. So you talk about the difference between the two. It's miles and miles apart. They're not similar. The only thing that's similar about them is their shape and their size. Well, I wouldn't even say their shape. Embiid is in... Uh, different physical condition than Nikola Jokic is. You know, we get roped in so many times when we compare people and we just completely look at, well, he's seven foot and he's 280. Well, he's seven foot and he's 280. They have to be the same player. Is every six foot two guy exactly the same? No. Is every six foot nine player exactly the same? No. Jason Tatum's six nine. He's a lot different than a 6'9", Tobias Harris. And Jokic is just completely different to, from Embiid. This isn't so-and-so is far superior. They're just different. And that's okay. As we said, Shaq can win a title the same way that Duncan can win a title. Not the same way, but they both can win. You don't have to be Nikola Jokic if you're Joel Embiid to win a championship. But what I think Joel Embiid can watch is... Maybe there's some things I could add to my game that he does. And I'm sure Jokic can look at Embiid and say, maybe there's some things that I, he does that I could add to my game because I'm this, that size. So it should have been two things in this uh, championship last night. Great game, by the way. 
fun game down the stretch. And if you watched the game last night, now the way I watched the game is probably different than the way you guys watched the game. But I took a look at two things in the end. Denver was a better team. That's not even part of the things that I'm looking at. Denver was a better team. They had the best player. But their patience as an organization, I give them a hat tip, and I thoroughly enjoy it because so many people want to reverse course and change things middle of the season. <laughs> you got to fire the coach in the middle of the season. You got to you know tr- make this mega trade in the middle of the season. Everybody, and look, that's what fans are fans for. You want to win the championship this year, right now, have to have it. Sometimes there's a bigger picture than winning the championship right now. Now, the Sixers want to win the championship right now. I'm not saying they don't. But Denver wanted to win the championship last year. And Denver wanted to win the championship the year before that and the year before that. And they failed. And they failed. And they failed. And last night they finally didn't fail. So I'm happy for Denver. I had them in five, so I'm happy that my pick was right. For once, I got something right. You don't have to say, hey, Mike, you said this. No, I said they would get it right. I said they would be in five. They're the better team. Um, I think that there's a lot of great stories in this, and I think the NBA is now in another jumping-off point here. You know, LeBron is 38 years old. Curry and that Warriors team may look completely different this year, although I think they'll stay together and probably take one more shot at it. But the NBA is now in a spot where it is wide open, people, right? How many teams now you look at? Because at the beginning of this year, you probably didn't include Denver in your teams that can win a title. You know, you had Milwaukee, you had Boston. You had maybe the Lakers, Philadelphia, um, Brooklyn, probably at the start of the year when they had Durant and Kyrie. You probably still kind of thought they were in the mix. Now you look at it, Denver wins the title, Miami's been there. Look, I think Miami is not some flukish thing. They have been there multiple times. But I think Miami is starting to come to a point of what do we do? That's what ends up happening. What do we do? We've got Jimmy Butler. Is he good enough to be the best player on the best team in the league, or is he just short of that? And if he's just short of that, do we get a player that's better than Butler, or do we get a player to complement Butler better? The Heat are in a weird spot because at 44 and 38, most teams are looking to fire their coach, or most fan bases are looking to fire the coach. Miami's got to decide who they are. Are they another championship run in them? Or was that just a mirage because they got hot at the right time? 609-403-0973. 609-403-0973. The Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. Uh, coming up, Doc Rivers was on the Bill Simmons podcast. Uh, somebody say that Jokic exposes Embiid's weakness, that Embiid's a selfish player. Uh, Doc Rivers thinks exactly the opposite of that. And he kind of maps out in his mind why the Sixers came up short in these playoffs. And it has nothing to do with Joel Embiid or being selfish. In fact, he didn't think Embiid was selfish enough. You know, it would take somebody basically a moron to watch Joel Embiid and come up with that assessment. Now, you might say Jokic is 
Jokic is better at being a team player and passing the ball, yeah, he's better than Embiid. You want Embiid to be something that he's not, a point center. I got news for you. Joel Embiid is not a point center. And I got more news for you. Nobody else is either. (laughs) Nikola Jokic is the best player in the game right now just because he didn't win the MVP. And look, I don't think there's much of an argument. This is a regular season award based on whatever. This isn't who's the best player. It's who's the most valuable player to their team. You take Embiid off the Sixers, they're probably an eight seed if they're lucky. So everybody wants to say, well, Embiid didn't deserve that award and Jokic is clearly better. Just winning the MVP doesn't mean somebody's better than somebody else. Karl Malone was never better than Michael Jordan. Ever. Ever, ever. And yet he won the MVP. Who cares who wins the MVP? It's a regular season award based on what your regular season was. But Jokic is a more skilled player. This isn't news. If you're trying to prove a point by saying that Jokic is more skilled, you're barking up the wrong tree. We already know that Jokic is a more skilled, higher IQ player. But that doesn't mean you cannot win with the other guy. You can win with a multitude. Look, if Jokic was this unbelievable talent that we've never seen before, he would have won more than one championship. And now maybe he might. I hope he does for, for, for Jokic's sake, by the way. I hope this guy wins a bunch of these things because I think he is so fun to watch and so off the beaten path. I would have loved to have seen a Jokic Embiid finals. You know, they played once in the regular season. It's a regular season game. Who cares what the result was? But in that game, Embiid scored what? 47 against Jokic? I think he scored 47 or 49 or something crazy like that the first time they played. So if you would have had a game, a seven-game series between Philly and Denver, that would have been an awesome back and forth between these two different players. Embiid had 47 points and 18 rebounds in the game against uh, Jokic. So don't sit here and say that Embiid... And Jokic can't, you know, yeah, Jokic is great. He does different things. He's a more efficient player. He's just a different player. In that game, he had 24 points, 9 assists, and 8 rebounds. And on that night, Embiid had 47 points, 18 rebounds, and 5 assists. And he had 2 blocks and 3 steals. So let's not act like these two guys are in completely different landscapes, okay? You just sound ridiculous and borderline hateful. I mean, for what reason? You just say, look, these two guys are great. They're just different. And one guy who took eight years to win a championship got his last night. People acting like this guy's been winning championships for the first seven years of his career and he got another one last night. No, he had a lot of failures because he wasn't good enough yet. Last night, finally, all the work And all the evolution of Jokic's game caught up, and it resulted in a championship. So kudos to him. So now what's next for the NBA? Got the draft, got free agency, and there's a lot to discuss. Doc Rivers on the Bill Simmons podcast. Wow. A lot of stuff that he had to say. We'll hear that coming up. Nick Nurse also on the Bill Simmons, uh, excuse me, on the Hoops Collective podcast had something to say about James Harden. We'll get into that. Phil's last night while you were sleeping. I got some thoughts on that. 
coming up. Frank Close has the Phillies mailbag. Adam Kaplan has football at four. Don't you go away. We're just kicking off a Tuesday edition of the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. Now, for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Bash on 97.3 ESPN. Sports Bash, 97.3 ESPN. Jeff and EHT says, Mike, I agree. They're both great players. Jokic is a better all-around player, but when they match up head-to-head, which I've seen four times myself, I always come away thinking Embiid looked like the better player, just like boxing styles make fights. Yeah, I mean, when they played to get, averse each other, Embiid absolutely demolished Jokic in the matchup head-to-head. Just beating him head-to-head and having a big night doesn't mean that he's better. And just because Jokic won the championship doesn't mean that he's better. They're just different. We always want to try to say he's better because their team did this and he's better because their team did that. And that they played head to head and beat scored 47 and he had 18 rebounds. You score 47 points and have 18 rebounds against somebody. And then someone tries to tell you that the other guy who gave up 47 points and 18 rebound is better. They're going to think you're a nutbag. But that doesn't mean that Embiid is just flat out better than Jokic because he had 47 and 18 against him. Joel Embiid for 82 games during the regular season had a great regular season. People act like, well, because he won the MVP, he's got to be the best player in the league. No. You know how many best players in the league there are? You know how many MVP guys there are out there? Giannis could be the MVP. On some nights, he's the best player in the league. And some nights, Jokic is the best player in the league. And some nights, Tatum is the best player in the league. And some nights, Booker's the best player in the league. And some nights, it's Durant. And some nights, it's LeBron. Who had the most nights of the 82-game schedule of being the best? That's what the MVP is. But in the end, the biggest award of them all is who had the best nights of being the 16, had the 16 wins. Who had the best nights in them? And that was Jokic. So for the two-month season, the most important season, Jokic was the best player. But for the 82-game season, which is the less important season, Embiid was the best player. Now the next stop for Embiid is to do what Jokic did. Jokic was the best player for 82 games twice. He wasn't the best player for the 16 games during those years. You don't sit here and say Jokic didn't deserve the MVPs or he's not the best player because he didn't win the championship. They're two different things. When you figure that out, that will help you. People want to keep trying to compare the regular season to the playoff. They're different. The biggest problem for Embiid has been his regular season, dominant. His playoffs, not as dominant. Jokic had two dominant regular seasons, and then he got to the playoffs and they got knocked out. 609-403-0973-609-403-0973. Mike, I don't see patience with Denver. I see two incredible stars. Jokic and Murray were luck of the draft. I never watched Jokic much prior. He's much better than Embiid. Embiid can't dribble in traffic. Embiid can't pass. Um. Okay, well, 
I guess you don't watch Embiid as much as you think you watch Embiid. Now, he can't dribble in traffic as well as Jokic can. And quite frankly, Jokic doesn't dribble in traffic all that much. He kind of dribbles to a spot on the floor, hands off, screens, gets the ball back, backs his way through. And kind of like last night, he's one-on-one with Kyle Lowry, who is six foot two. He's got a foot on him last night. He's very good at finding spots on the floor, and he sees the floor better. That's where he's different, much better than Embiid. He sees the floor better than Embiid does. Embiid does not have that feel of finding people in spots and passing them open and that kind of stuff. And look, that is a innate skill that very few, even guards have. I mean, Ben Simmons was very good at that. Ben would find a guy moving without the ball and hit him in stride, and it resulted in a lot of layups. Jokic is similar to that, where he can find a guy without the ball, and Embiid is just not that guy. It's not that Jokic is better than Embiid. It's that Jokic plays a different style of basketball. And the problem is, is that today's sports fan has been programmed to not appreciate a guy like Joel Embiid's defense. Jokic's biggest flaw is that you can attack him defensively and he has trouble. But Jokic's defense has been compensated for because of the team around him. Because at the end of the day, Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic didn't win anything until they got to go with and join them Guys like Aaron Gordon, Michael Porter Jr., Bruce Brown, Catavius Caldwell Pope. You know, that guy Christian um uh Christian um Brown. He's won a championship in high school, college, and the NBA now. And he said it took significant minutes in this postseason. So to say that it was just because the Nuggets had Jokic and Murray, that's just being ignorant. It sounds like to me that guy, Mike, just doesn't like Embiid and doesn't appreciate the fact that that Embiid, you know, is a dominant player in his own right. Uh, Mike, we never get to see much of Jokic. What an unbelievable talent, fun to watch. It's hard to believe he's 6'11". He's rebounding everything, plus bringing the ball up and passing like Magic Johnson. I was unable to listen yesterday. I'm sure you addressed the possibility of Fred Van Vliet reuniting with Nurse and his fit with the Sixers, uh, replacing Harden. We'll get into that part a little bit later, but we did talk about that a little bit. But your other part about Jokic, what an unbelievable talent. Yes, he is a different talent than Joel. Why do we want to keep comparing the two players as the same. They're not. They're just not the same players. And that's okay, though. And it's fine. It's okay. Um, Jokic can be great, and Embiid can be great. It doesn't have to be one or the other. It's like in in the 1990s, Patrick Ewing wasn't a bum because he never won a championship. He was still one of the best centers in the game. David Robinson, before he got Tim Duncan, he wasn't a bum. He is still one of the best centers in the game. Yeah, like, you know, people say, you know, Jokic, people act, again, like this is his rookie year. Yeah, he's been in the league the same amount of time. Nicole Jokic got drafted the same year as Embiid. He has one title. He won it last night. Right. He doesn't have four. He doesn't have three. He doesn't have two. He has one. He won it last night. And I hate the fact that people are making it sound like I don't. I love what I watch from Jokic in these plays. I appreciate him because he is different. But you guys want to keep comparing them. Jokic has won one championship, and it came less than 24 hours ago. And now we're trying to act like the gap is so wide between him as a player and the next guy as a player. And I just think that's, like, ridiculous. You know, what Jokic did was he 
has gotten better and better. And he won two MVPs. And by the way, are you saying that he didn't deserve to be the MVP because he didn't win the championship? Because if you're saying that Embiid didn't deserve to win the MVP because they didn't win the championship, then then Jokic would have no MVPs. Right. Jokic won the MVPs for two years, and then he, he was just not good enough in the playoffs because his team wasn't good enough in the playoffs. That Nuggets team the last couple of years, especially last year, they didn't have Murray. They didn't have Murray last year, and it got knocked out in the first round. So as great as Jokic was, as everybody's telling me how great he is and what he does, and he's so different, Embiid got further than him in the playoffs. So was Embiid better than him in the playoffs last year because they got farther? Of course not. You sound like a fool. To, to me, last night, Nikola Jokic proved Joel Embiid's point. Joel Embiid said after they lost, I can't do this by myself. Nikola Jokic last night proved that point. Because before he got the current supporting cast that he has, every year he didn't make the NBA Finals. This year he did because he had the right supporting cast. Well, keep in mind, you're right. Last year, no Murray. Previous to that, Porter Jr., he had all sorts of injury problems. They finally got Porter Jr. playing. This is like, what, Porter Jr.'s fourth year or third year? I want to say it's his fourth. Let me double check. But to me... He has not been healthy virtually... The reason that Denver even has Porter Jr. is because he was hurt in college. Correct. He was going to be the number one overall pick in the draft by some people. Yeah, he had that back, back problem, and that made him slide all the way down, and Denver ends up getting him. So the text message before that Denver has had some luck, yeah, Jokic in the second round, Porter Jr. falling all the way down. But keep in mind, the frustration of their losses some of the last couple of years is because Porter Jr. was not ready to contribute for them like many people would hope from a first-round pick. Sure, but it also goes back to the Aaron Gordon thing. And I know that, you know, Gordon to me is a huge part of this team's success. And he's getting overlooked way too much. You could argue he was the sole reason why they won game four. Because when Jokic was in foul trouble and Murray couldn't make shots in the first half, Aaron Gordon had a monster night. It wasn't Michael Porter Jr. And that's a trade they made last year at the deadline. Correct. So, again, they kept the two guys, Murray and Jokic. They didn't sit here and say, we got to break these guys up. We need to fire the coach. They kept the coach. They kept Murray. They kept Jokic. They drafted Porter. Porter wasn't ready, but they didn't panic on him. They figured, look, he was hurt. Let him get his feet under him. Four years later, he's contributing player on a championship yeah, team. Yeah, contributing player. And that's the key word, though. Stars need contributing players. Well, and then their contributing players are Porter, a, a very talented. <laughs> he's got to be one of the more talented role players in the league if we're calling him a role player. And frankly, he needs to be a role player because as we saw in this series, his offense is so grossly inconsistent. Porter, uh, not Porter, um, Gordon. Gordon, another guy. They traded for him and added him last year. So you trade a guy at the deadline last year. You, you don't win last year. Well, now you have him for a full offseason, a full thing, yep. and he turns into, look, if he's a role player, another guy who's a high first-round pick that you're calling a role player. And guess what? He might be the best weak side defender in the NBA. He is the guy who erases Jokic's defensive deficiencies. I mean, he was the fourth pick in the draft, we forget, and we're sitting here calling this guy a role player. But again, it's... You know what I'm saying? No, that's my point. is Their role players are high. Like, Porter Jr. would have been yes. the first pick in the draft. But it goes he back slides to like, all the way down to wherever he sure. does. 
Bruce Brown is another guy that when a team wins a championship and you're watching a game, you're like, who the hell is this Bruce Brown guy? Well, the good teams have a guy like that, and that seemingly is the guy that the Sixers have lacked. Like, their Bruce Brown would be DeAnthony Melton. Correct. And Melton just did not have the same impact that Brown had for Denver. Right. And and the thing is, is that, you know, to, everyone loves to use the Batman and Robin analogy with superhero stuff. Well, the thing is, is that the reason why, you know, a team like the Justice League, to use superhero thing, wins the day is because they're full of superstars. Yes, not every superstar is Superman, but the people behind themselves are franchise players. Aaron Gordon could be the best player in Orlando, but they can never win a championship. But he could be the number three guy for the Nuggets to win a championship. Uh, Caldwell Pope, by the way, was the eighth pick in the draft. By the way, he won a championship with the Lakers a couple years ago. And look, not a great player, very inconsistent shooter, but a guy who's had, you know, finals experience. It just kind of all came together for them. But that's not act like this team has won five championships. They won one last night. Congratulations to them. them. I love the story. It's fantastic. I was pulling for uh, Denver. I was cheering for Denver to win last night. I wanted to see Jokic win the championship because I think he's an awesome player. But that doesn't change my view of he's a great player and Bede's a great player. Uh, is is Antetokounmpo not a great player now because he got knocked out in the first round? Yeah, he's a bum, obviously. That's how people think, man. It's crazy, crazy, crazy. More Sports Bash. Frank Close coming up at uh, 3 o'clock with the mailbag today. Phil's lose one last night. We'll take a look through that game next on the Sports Bash. Kia. Now. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader. 251, the Phils took one on the chin last night. They're up 5-0, or 5-1, I think it was, and somehow figured out a way to lose that game. You know why? Well, they're continuing to go with uh, no fifth starter. Now, why I think they need to get a fifth starter, there's no question about it. We had talked before. The Phillies' fifth starter was the least of their problems. Their other problems are starting to fix themselves. And if those things start to fix themselves, now you have to address this. You scored eight runs last night and had 13 hits and couldn't win that game. You're down, uh, they, it was 5-1. They were down one nothing in the first. They come back, but you give up one in the first. You got Strom pitching. He can't get through the third. You got to go to your bullpen. How many pitchers they used last night? Seven. One, two, three, four, five. Five pitchers last night. None of them anybody's heard of. Marte, Covey, Vasquez, and Hoffman. Tell me if you had that on your bingo card of pitchers that you were going to stroll out in the same game. They threw those guys all in the same game last night. And look, this whole fifth starter thing, I was the guy who said Bailey Falter, 
he's the least of your problems. Falter at least gave you five innings. <laughs> Maybe he didn't pitch great, but they were scoring two runs a game for Falter. But you need someone to get you five innings. You can't have Strom get taken out in the third and then have to pitch guys like Marte and, and the other clown, Covey, who stick. You know, Marte and Covey have done something I don't think I've ever seen. They're both so bad that they both have a 771 ERA. And last night, they were both so bad that they almost had identical pitching lines. They both threw one and a third innings. They both gave up two runs. They both had two strikeouts. And they both have an ERA of 771. They're essentially the both crappy pitcher. And they followed each other up last night. Because Strom can't get out of the third. You don't want to use anybody of significance that early. So you go to Marte, and then it's just a mess last night with this fifth starter situation. But now with the team kind of coming around, they deserve better than that. Because before we said, look, you can't sit here and complain about Falter when you have Schwarber, who had a hit last night. He's up to once. Turner's starting to come around a little bit. Castellano continues to still hit. Uh, big game from Real Muto obviously had the... Um, uh, the, the the cycle, Bohm had a nice game, couple ribbies. Uh, even Harrison had two hits last night. You had enough hits in, in, in offense last night to win that game. So you're starting pitching. Your other four guys, they're starting to do their job. You're, and that doesn't mean they're going to win every time out. But here's the problem now that you're falling into. Where Falter gave you five, now you took Falter out of the rotation. I can't believe you're almost saying, can you bring Falter back? You just need someone to give you five innings. You need someone that can get you five so you don't have to get the guy out. You go falter for five, then go to Strom. But they got to keep taking Strom out in the second and third inning because the pitch count gets too high. They don't want to have him throw too much. And keep in mind, the problem with Strom is he's been hurt before because he throws too much. You don't want him throwing this much. And they got to figure this out. They got to figure it out because they did what I asked. I'm not looking at the fifth starter if Bailey Falter as an issue. I'm looking at the other problems this team has. Well, the other problems start to fix themselves. And now you had a game last night that you had a chance to win. And you lost it because Strom, Marte, Kove, Vasquez, and Hoffman. There's your answer. How long can you wait to address the issue? Here's the problem. I wrote an article for 97.3 ESPN.com. If you want to go check it out, four options for the number five starter spot. There's nobody out there. I mean, it took me two hours to find four guys. And I think I stretched on maybe two of them because there's just nobody available. They are, I think they are trying to get to Andrew Painter. And I think they are hoping that Falter or Sanchez can straighten things out in AAA and give them maybe another month until Painter possibly is ready. I have an update on Painter when Frank Close joins me next. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. 3 o'clock, Sports Bash. Frank Close is in the house with his Phillies mailbag. You ask the questions, he answers Philly style. 609-403-0973. What's on your Phillies mind? Let Frank Close know right now on the text board. He'll answer the questions. 609-403-0973. Let's get some thoughts from Frank Close, our Phillies insider from 973ESPN.com. A late night out in Arizona last night, Frank. And of course, uh, the Phils, if you went to bed a little early, uh, they were up five to one and then they got into the bullpen and a bunch of guys no one's ever heard of was in the game and they all stunk amazingly enough. 
Is that about yeah, how it went? Is that about it. how it went last night? <laughs> that sounds about right. Unfortunately, JT Real Muto's cycle is going to get lost in the midst of all that. You know, I can't. I actually did go and look up the last time that a team saw a cycle from a player and lost. And it was actually July first, twenty twenty two, against the Phillies when Nolan Arenado did it for the Cardinals. So uh, it's <laughs> it's happened recently. The Phillies were involved this time. They're on the wrong end of that. Well, last night, obviously, Strom, he can't get out of the third. Then they've got to go to Marte and Covey and guys that no one's really ever heard of here. So before we get into the mailbag, let's kind of give an overview of this team right now. Uh, fifth starter options, where are we at right now? What can they do? I know Painter, there's an update there, but that seemingly is at least another month or longer away. There's Falter in the minors. There's Sanchez in the minors. There's trade options. What can this team do? Rob Thompson keeps saying, yeah, hey, we're happy doesn't sound like Bryce Harper's happy. It doesn't sound like JT Romuto's all that happy. Yeah, you know, the game last night is a perfect example of what not having a fifth starter will do to you. So obviously Matt Strom is not there to be the starter. They He was stretched out the beginning of the year. They put him back in the bullpen. They said his innings were too high. So they weren't going to try to keep him as a starter. And so... Someone like Strom probably should have thrown two innings and that's it. When it came out for the third, I actually thought kind of like, eh, I think this is pushing it because he was already over or at the 40 pitch mark at that point. And how how many pitches do you want your not starter to throw? Someone who's supposed to be in your bullpen. And then because the bullpen was already taxed in the four days between, you can't go to your top bullpen guy. So then you run out the Junior Marte and the – um, I will say, even Andrew Vasquez, who's been really good this year, that's not the spot you put Andrew Vasquez usually, right? He's kind of there to be at the the back, not at the back end as one of your lockdown late inning guys. He's there to be sort of your middle inning or maybe you have a little bit of a, a deficit kind of guy, and he's performed well in that role. Uh, Jeff Hoffman, too, pitching in that, that role. He, he didn't give up any runs yesterday. And Dylan Covey, if you don't want to start him, why is he still there? So... That was a, that was a real tough one to lose last night uh, out in Arizona. You know, if they if they had won that game, coming off the cycle, you start to feel like JT Romuto is back out of his slumps, and there, there's a lot of momentum that can come from that. But now it just kind of sh- kind of shuts that down. Yeah, it does because last night you pound out 13 hits, you score eight runs, and unfortunately you have a 5-1 lead and you can't hold it. Uh, that's a frustrating loss. And that's where the frustration comes through because before I was saying, look, Falter, as bad as he has been, he wasn't your biggest problem. I and mean, he's giving you five innings, your team scoring two runs, you had offensive problems, you had top end of the rotation pitching problems. The Falter stuff gets magnified because his record and his ERA wasn't very good. But at least if he gives you five innings last night, you probably win that game. No, absolutely. I mean that 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 was that was Strom's pitching too much pitchers that you probably shouldn't have in there at all uh, pitching, and, and and let's face it, they got to come up with a solution. I know you just asked, well, what what are some of the options? The only one that I can maybe come up with, and I don't even feel that confident about, is Griff McGarry, who has returned from the IL in the minor leagues, and they've been pitching him. Uh, to build him up to start, but before his last start, where he, when he hit five innings for the first time, they gave him nine days off in between. So they're they're clearly trying to to to, I guess, ease him into that. Now, once he gets up to six innings, seven innings, get him to AAA, 
maybe see if he's got something there and he can help you in the major leagues. He's the only hope that I think they have right now, and it's not even that much of a guarantee. You have to see if he can indeed stay healthy, can get stretched out, and you need to see him at another level first. So yeah, he's the only one internally that I can come up with. Yeah, um, yeah, and that's uh, yeah, you're right. A stretch, no experience really there. Another guy with no experience is Andrew Painter. But some thoughts that he could have been the fifth starter to start the year. I know uh, he threw a couple days. I think he's supposed to throw again today, and then again on Friday. So uh, what's some uh, updates and thoughts? on Painter's uh, immediate future. I guess the immediate future is not the right term here because it doesn't look like he would be ready in the month of June uh, at all. Yeah, I, I, I think that it was a stretch to think that he could have been in the starting rotation from the start. I think what they – I will say this. Even walking around uh, spring training on the backfields, you, you could overhear people talking about how much they like Andrew Painter and, and just hear conversations. I, re- I remember even hearing Larry Boa telling somebody about what some people in the organization thought of Painter. And you know, a lot of people had high hopes for him. But at the same time, he, he was 19 years old in spring training. So that was kind of asking a lot. And I think that they had hoped that he would show something nice in spring training and that he would be an option down the line. If not right away, maybe B- B- uh, Bailey Falter starts the season. And then you bring up, I almost said baby, baby painter, I guess. Uh, but maybe painter could come up uh, and, and jump in if, if Falter was faltering. And neither neither thing worked out. Uh, they had to ride Falter longer. Uh, they, he, they were not winning his games. He was not keeping in the games. And there was really nobody behind him. Uh, now, Nick Nelson, I think, is going to throw soon. I mean, they got to try something else. I mean, I would not be totally shocked if Dylan Covey is not on the roster when tonight's game begins. Yeah. Um, Andrew Bellotti seems to have worked out some of his things at AAA. I wouldn't be shocked if you see him back soon. He's somebody that can at least give you two innings. Uh, so, but, but right now, that, that's about it. You know, tax the bullpen, maybe bring in the fresh R, maybe one week, maybe – I don't know. Maybe Bilotti's the first one back, but then maybe you go Luis Ortiz or Eric Gilman. I mean, I, I feel like you're going to see this this cycle of relievers coming up and down 476 just to get them through. And but they desperately need somebody in that spot. Yeah. Uh, any thoughts at this point? Frank on trade up. Uh, I mean, it seems that, that there's just not a lot out there. It almost seems like you might have to get better than a fifth starter, and then bump everybody back you know like if you're going out to get a, a Lucas Gilito or if you're going out and getting uh you know that level of pitcher it doesn't seem like the back end fifth guy is really available it seems like there's more maybe number threes yeah I think team teams I'll put it this way you just saw what a tax bullpen does to a team I think even the teams that are rebuilding they would rather trade you a better pitcher or get some good prospects back and then not kill your future by by wearing out your your bullpen or starting staff. So I mean, even uh, even the teams that are quote unquote the bad teams this year, I don't know that they even have the depth to, to give up somebody who could at least eat the inning. I mean, you saw the Detroit Tigers recently, right? They had what two bullpen games out of that. I mean, so, so where are you going to get these these pitchers in trade anyway? And I think the ones that you are going to get are the ones that are perhaps a little bit upper tier. That command a good return, and then the question becomes: You want to give do that the up? Do Phillies have what you want to trade to, to to land one of those arms? And and we all know that the price kind of goes up the closer you get to the deadline because the bidding goes up. 
And with so many teams in it this year, the bidding is going to be high. You know, I mean, we're, we're in a year where the the last place uh, St. Louis Cardinals, for all intents and purposes, probably aren't going to give up. And that's in the central, right? So, so I, I it's it's going to hard. It's going to be really hard to find some trade partners to get some arms. And one of the, the problems, Rockies, maybe one of the problems is you mentioned the Cardinals right now. Believe it or not, are the worst team in the National League. They are seven and a half games out of the wild card. So even as the worst team, seven and a half out, it takes one seven out of ten or eight out of eleven to get them creeping back in. So the National League side, on the American League side, Oakland is so bad, they've actually won six in a row, believe it or not, but they don't really have anybody to trade. I mean, there's not like a, you know, a Kyle Gibson pitching on Oakland. I mean, maybe Zach Greinke in Kansas City, Detroit, you just talked about them. The White Sox are interesting because uh, they've got a couple high-priced veteran players. They might just decide, all right, we aren't where we are. The Guardians, similar. Uh, but, yeah, it seems like it's going to be tough to find any pitching that you can get for low cost. Yeah, the Phillies can give up Painter or Abel or McGarry. They don't want to do that. Yeah, I would I would be willing if I were the Phillies to give up someone like Abel or McGarry if you get a starter that's uh, at least mid mid rotation guy, but also under control beyond this year. You don't want to give up potential long term pieces like uh, if, who's if, the guy in, in uh, Chicago, the White Sox, still in. Um, oh man, his name. He was second in the uh, Cy Young last year. Cobb, what's that? Was it Alex Cobb? No, no, no. He pitches for the White Sox. Dylan, um, oh, man. Cease. No, I, yes, Dylan I... Cease. Yes. Thank you. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 27 yeah, right. years old. He's got a couple years left on his deal. He was second in the Cy Young, but, you know, he's just kind of not pitched as well this year. Right. Yeah. I mean, there there, there are always pitchers like that who they they hope that a, a fresh start will will uh, make a difference. But, honestly, I, I, I thought the Chicago White Sox were better than they're performing. They could go on a run, and then then all of a sudden they're buyers. Like that could happen overnight. That's the problem so, with a lot of the teams I just mentioned. Yeah, exactly. So, and I think it's really hard for some of those teams that were expected to compete that are still under five hundred. But you know, if you're five six games under five hundred, you can go on that run you just said, and then all of a sudden, you know, five hundred, you're very much in this wild card. I mean, that's just going to be the nature of the wild card when you have three wild cards. So trying to sell to the fan base that you're 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 out of it when you're really not, that's a tough sell. And they, and you know what? They're also in business. They want to sell tickets. So it, it's going to be a very interesting trade deadline if everybody is all bunched up the way that they are. And you mentioned the AL. Like right now, I, someone tweeted yesterday, and I apologize, I forget who said it, but if you put the AL East and AL Central together, it looks like one big division because. The top record in the Central was equal to the last place team in the East at 500. So I think it was the Guardians and Red Sox, the same record right now. One's in first place, one's in last place. Well, if it's like that, if you're one of the Central teams and at first place is 500, well, if you think, well, yeah, I could, I, this team could win six out of seven. And what do you know? Here we are. Uh, Frank Close, our Phillies insider over at 973ESPN.com. His mailbag is open. Uh, he answers your questions every Tuesday here on the Sports Bash. And a lot of questions, uh, this week, obviously with the Phillies. They started to play some better ball. They win two out of three. Then last night, of course, they showed one of their awards, which is that fifth spot in the rotation. But Julian wants to know, 
Where's the power on this team? Nothing besides Schwarber, obviously the corner infield. Uh, you got nothing from those two spots there. Harper not showing a lot of power. Castellanos, he's not near the power he showed in Cincinnati. So, uh, power outage. <laughs> yes, this has been a real power outage. Well, I think right off the bat, you think of Reese Hoskins, right? So there, 30 home runs, of course, right out of your lineup right off the bat. Who are they replacing him with? Well, those at-bats have gone to Cody Clemens and Edmundo Sosa. So you you, got, you would understand that there would be a trail off there. You have the struggles of Trey Turner and JT Real Muto. There are some expected power that didn't happen, right? So yeah, I, I think, I think what, what happens here is when you think of the team, you expected more home runs, but then when you really kind of go through a bit by bit, you kind of realize that maybe the Phillies are kind of where they are or maybe just a tail below what they should be doing. Uh, they're 20th out of 30 teams in home runs right now. Uh, Schwarber has a, has 17, I believe, of course, leading the team. Uh, but like, like Bryce Harper, you know, you probably expected that with a reconstructed elbow, he wasn't going to have the full power stroke that, that he had in the past. It might take him a little while to find that. I think that's understandable, right? So even, uh, Derek Hall could have filled in, uh, for Harper for a while, even if Hoskins was healthy, you know, he got injured too. So you, when you think about the, the power sources here, that you, it kind of makes sense that there is less power than last year. And, uh, it kind of puts the onus on the team to start playing some more small ball and start, start, uh, hitting with runners in scoring position, perhaps because, how many of those opportunities that they had runners on second base or third base, a single would have been fine to drive in the run, right? So, um, so, so not having that home run mentality could help them improve. But, you know, players like Alec Bohm, Bryson Stott, they're not necessarily home run hitters. And Nick Castellanos, even a tick below what you might have expected, as great as he's playing, he's only on pace for like 20. So, uh, I think a combination of like the slumps of the, of the, the star players that, that I just mentioned and the loss of, of, of Hoskins and, and Harper for this time. I think that it makes sense that the Phillies would be 20 out of 30. What right do you now. think happens with, you mentioned the power outage and, and, and Hall. If he's ready to go, he's a left-handed bat to play first base. Well, Cody Clements has been one of their better, more consistent bats, sadly. Uh, how do you think they play that? That's a good question. And I think that needs to, that remains to be seen. You know, Clemens was hot and then he kind of cooled for a little bit, but he's, he's playing pretty well right now. In fact, I've liked his, his defense at first base and he's come up with some big hits. Uh, I think he'll be hard to, to sort of displace there. Um, I think Hall would have to show that, that he's playing very, very well at AAA. I, I think he would need to show he has his power stroke and, and you know, it might, it might, I mean, it, Rob Thompson said that he would have to earn his way back in. I mean, nothing's guaranteed in this game. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, if, if Clemens is, is playing well, then they might just have to, have to ride that. I mean, he's, uh, <laughs> you're just not getting the power from Clemens that you might from Hall. That's, that's, I guess, you know, going back to the guy's question. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, definitely you're, you're not going to see as much power, perhaps. I mean, right now, if you're looking at, at, at Derek Hall and his, his rehab assignment, he does have one home run. He's batting 296 at AAA. So he might, uh, he might find his way back onto this Phillies roster. It could be a tough one. It could be a situation where the Phillies make other decisions to keep Clemens around. Now Clemens can play other positions. I don't love him so much at, at, at other positions on the field, but, uh, and then he is a lefty too, right? A lot of those posi- places where he could fill in. Uh, are, are tend to be left-handed hitters, right? I mean, you don't you don't want uh, a, a left-hander 
filling in for Bryson Stodd at second base, right? I mean, he's a uh, lefty as well. So he's kind of a, a tough fit. Uh, but he's playing well that it might give them some pause. So, uh, you know, that would be a, that would be a tough one, uh, to, uh, to send down to AAA, uh, if, if Hall's ready. But, but if Hall shows he's ready and he's got power, I, I still think it could happen because the Phillies can option Clemens and he can, uh, stay at AAA until they need him again. Can you imagine? He's turned into a fan favorite. They, like, uh, they optioned him. It was similar to what they did, uh, the other day where they sent Connor Brogdon down to bring, Kove up. Uh, what's the uh, reasoning that uh, Brogdon sent? That he pitched for Lehigh Valley. You, got, you mentioned you're going to get guys going back and forth a lot here. But why uh, was he sent down and Kove still still here? Yeah, well, I was a little surprised too when the Phillies needed to make room for Jose Alvarado. I assumed it would be Junior Marte or it would be Dylan Kove. But you know, maybe, maybe there's there's a couple things that could be going on here. Well, one. Clearly, his numbers were not good. In his last seven games before he was sent down, he had an ERA over nine, almost nine and a half. So, uh, you know, he did take that loss in that first game against the Nationals after the Phillies climbed back up to tie it at seven, and they end up losing eight to seven. Um, you know, there's, there could be other things that we don't see. I mean, sometimes players get optioned because the team wants to send them a message one way or the other. Uh, you know, maybe maybe sometimes the player's not getting the ins- or not listening to instruction. I mean, if the coaching staff asked him to make adjustments and he didn't, I mean, I don't know. I'm just speculating. That could be why that they did it. Um, could be just because of that performance. Um, but it also could be a matter that the Phillies wanted the fresh arm around, you know, to use the cliche, right? So in fact, why I think the Phillies might even make a move before today's game to have the fresh arm there. But, uh, but clearly uh, Brogdon needs to pitch better. He took the loss actually at Lehigh Valley on Sunday, gave up a few runs, uh, he's not looking great right now. So I think the Phillies didn't want to be in a situation where all these back-end uh, arms are, are being used so much that, that they would need to use him in a big spot and he doesn't doesn't do the job. I, I don't know. I mean, he's he, he probably has some things to work on. And, you know, uh, last year he had two stretches. One was right before he caught COVID and was out for a while, and the other was, was into the playoffs. He was really, really, like, lights out on that mound. And uh, if the Phillies can get that guy back, that's great. They they absolutely could use it right now. And I think at uh, AAA, I think their goal would be to get him back to that. You know, uh, less pressure there to to fix whatever he needs to be working on, uh, because the wins and losses don't matter like they do in the big leagues. But uh, but yeah, it was something that took me by surprise as well. Now, in terms of why Kobe is there, I can't tell you that. Maybe they figure he was stretched out and wanted to give them some. Uh, innings, some multiple innings. Of course, every time he's the last couple times out, when he's given him two innings, he's given up two runs each time. I don't know that 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 he warrants a spot on this roster right now. In fact, that's why I've, if it was me personally, I would bring Andrew Bellotti back and and take Covey off the roster as well. But clearly, Brogdon has some things to work out. I would love to see the process of you know whoever sits in a room and goes through the list of available guys. And then come together and agree, he's the guy we need. <laughs> I mean, you I know just what? Can't. The guy, I just don't understand. Like, how can anybody go up and down any available player and be like, Dylan Covey, he's exactly the guy we think is the right per I mean, come on. I just don't understand how they come to, to, to these decisions. 
Well, he was available. I mean, that, that, that's what it came <laughs> I'm down to. I'm available, for God's sakes. I mean, there's <laughs> got to be somebody. Again, uh, this goes back to what I was saying before about Falter. I mean, I'm not saying Falter was great, but God almighty, he at least got you five. This Covey clown can't get you through two. He stinks. He's terrible. Get him out of there. All right. Let's get Frank's, uh, let's bring back another popular name on this uh, segment. Scott Kingery. He's hot. He's hitting 440 <laughs> in the month of June. He can't hit any homers, but can he help this team? Well, I think I think that ship has sailed. You know, the Phillies had an opportunity to bring him up again uh, when Alec Bohm hit the injured list. Uh, they went for Drew Ellis instead. I mean, I, 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 I'm guessing at this point. Now, I'll never say never because, you know, two infielders could crash into each other and knock each other out at the same exact time, I suppose. Uh, and then all of a sudden you need multiple infielders, but – I think he's buried on the depth chart below uh, Drew Ellis. I think Drew Ellis would come up first. Jeez. Uh, I think the Phillies would have needed another. Another guy who can't play. It's it's unbelievable. Go ahead. Yeah, I I think the Phillies would make use of Dalton Guthrie as an infielder and Cody Clemens as an infielder first before they went to Kingery even at this point. But I, I don't know that. I don't know that we're ever going to see him again. I think Scott Kingery right now, he is playing for some other team to sign him to a minor league deal this offseason and invite him to spring training. I think that's that's the best you're looking for at this moment. And by the way, Bailey Falter, just looking up his numbers, he has a 4-3-2 ERA in AAA. Uh, they even sent him down to uh, Clearwater to pitch a few innings during the smoke <laughs> so that he would get some innings. So the Phillies are, by the way, clearly committed to making sure Falter is, is developing some. So who knows? Maybe you'll see him again soon. But, uh, but that was an interesting move on Thursday when all the smoke uh, was canceling games, that they actually flew him to Clearwater to make sure he pitched. So that could be something that. to keep an eye on. I did see that, yeah, and he has not pitched uh, all that well at AAA either. Um, and uh, he was at Lehigh, then down to Clearwater. So obviously they wanted to keep him on track with the hope that maybe they can get him back up because, Frank, it's uh, June 13th. Between now and the deadline, I don't know that Painter's going to be ready, so they're going to have to figure out something. Yeah, you're talking seven, eight starts. I mean, that that's a lot of starts. Uh, and and of course, when it's going to be this tight as we as it is every year for the playoff spots, I mean, that could make all the difference. So, I I just I just I just hate to see them burning out this this bullpen and and uh, it's it's it it's got a devastating effect for days to come. Especially, I mean, even morale. Right after after a game like yesterday, when you should be so happy that. A player hit for the cycle for the first time since 2004 changes the David Bell trivia question for forever. <laughs> you know, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's just demoralizing. Frank Close, 97.3 ESPN.com. Check him out on Tuesdays in the Phillies mailbag. He'll answer your questions as well. Uh, a couple more, uh, coming in here. Carl in Ocean City says, Frank, any shot? Uh, Scott Boris lets Hoskins sign a one year prove it deal to stay in Philly next season. Well, that's something uh, Scott Boris does. And I think my best answer to that would be to see what happens with, with Bryce Harper. Is is the is there a move to first base in Bryce Harper's future? If there is, well, maybe maybe you uh, can't say you, – you say to Reese, look, we love you, but we're sorry. You know, we have to go the – we're going the uh, Bryce Harper route. Or if they don't, hey, one-year deal. They, there's the saying around baseball that no one-year deal is a bad deal. So um, that could be could be a way that, that – they see what happens, but uh, I mean, I personally, 
I would like to see them have fewer uh, defensively challenged types uh, on their roster. I know, I know Hoskins brings a lot, but you know, if you find another guy that brings a lot that could maybe play outfield defense and Schwaber becomes your DH, I think that they're a lot stronger. And that works if you put uh, Bryce Harper at first base. So I, I think I would keep open the possibility, but but also leave open others. Uh, another question for you, Frank. Uh, Dan wants to know, are the Phillies going to stay with what they're doing at first base for the rest of the season? I don't have a lot of options, I guess. Yeah, I, I would expect them to add a bat of some sort. Um, it, it might be in the outfield, which, which again, could bump Kyle Schwarber to a DH role or something like that. I think Nick Castellanos is passable in right field. Uh, but it depends on where Harper's going to play. So if Harper ends up playing the outfield, you could end up adding a first baseman. If 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 uh, there's a good third baseman available, the Phillies could say to Alec Boehm, hey, we really like you at third base, but you know what? We're trying to win. Would you mind going over to first for the rest of the year? And I think that he would say sure because he's a team player. So, uh, you know, I think I think right now their situation gives them the ability to add a bat at a few different positions, and I think they'll be open-minded with that. So uh, I, I think ideally Bohm's a third, and, and uh, I, I would say if the Harper thing works out, they might get an outfielder. All right, Frank's back next Tuesday, and if any other news happens during the week, he'll be right here on the Sports Bash Plus 97.3 ESPN.com. Thanks, Frank. Thanks, Mike. All right, Frank Close, everybody, our Phillies insider from 97.3 ESPN.com. There's some of the questions he got this week. He answered them over at 97.3 ESPN.com in the mailbag, and uh, you always can text in your Phillies questions for Frank right here on the show. When we come back, I'm Mike Gill. This is the Sports Bash. We're going to take a look. Is all the pressure on Joel Embiid now? You'll hear what one national pungent has to say about that. That's coming up next here on the Sports Bash. Adam Kaplan at 4 o'clock on 97.3 ESPN. Now, without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Spash on 97.3 ESPN. Will the Phillies' best option for a number 5 starter be Roger Clemens? He's around a lot, right? Think Clemens can go out there and give you five? Wasn't he pitching not too long ago in like an independent league or even like the equivalent of like the uh, South Shore Baseball League, like the new men's league in the town? I thought Clemens was pitching somewhere. Like, how old's Clemens now? He's got to be almost 60, right? <laughs> can you imagine? Hey, Roger, can you give us three? Yeah, sure. Why not? I said three, not three every week. I said I can give you three. <laughs> you pick the three. <laughs> Phillies are throwing him out there every fifth day. <laughs> When's the last time? Did he pitch for, like, Team USA or something? When did Clemens pitch? Uh, well, right now he is 60 years old. He is 60 right now. Yeah. Uh, in 2012, he pitched for the... Sugarland Skeeters. Was it that long ago? Of the Atlantic League Professional League. It was that long ago? 2012? 
He hasn't done anything. I could have sworn. He also pitched for what was called the Kansas Stars, a group of 24 retired major leaguers in 2016. 2016. Okay, we're getting closer. In the National Baseball Congress World Series. Okay, we're getting closer. Anything in like the 2000s? <laughs> <laughs> in 2019. 2019. Here we go. He pitched in the Abbott Financial Management all-time baseball game. And how did he do? <laughs> Is he better than it Bailey It doesn't Walter? say. <laughs> <laughs> like baseball reference. You know, baseball reference, you can look up a guy and I'll tell you like his summer league stats. You it know, will, yeah. He's played for, uh, like I've gone to Newport, Rhode Island. They have the Newport goals up there. Here it is. Clemens pitched two shutout innings. Two shutout innings. But then he moved the first base for the rest of the game. He played first base. So maybe he can play first base. Uh, I think his son's doing all right. I know I kind of <laughs> gave it to his son the other day a little bit, but uh, he's proven me to be a little off. But I don't think if Cody – I think you play Cody Clements every day, you're going to end up getting Cody Clements, all right? Yeah. It's it's cute right now. He's been a great story. And, look, Roger Clements is my favorite player in the history of baseball. So I don't want to hate on his son. I just don't want to see his son all that much. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Okay. <laughs> Uh, I, I think his son has been, put it this way, in the trade, the Phillies got Soto and Clements for Maton and Veerling. You can make an argument that Clements has been the best player in the trade. Absolutely. Maton's been terrible, and Veerling, I think, is hurt. Veerling's been hurt half the year, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, over at 97.3 ESPN.com, four pitching options for the Phillies to target in a trade. This was like... Not easy to find. Does There's just no teeth? pitching out there. I could give you more names. I just don't think the Phillies have a fit. One of them is Zach Greinke. Uh, for those of you, you know, Greinke, he's like 39 years old now. He's pitching for the Royals. He's like one in six. But the Royals are horrible. The big thing for me with Greinke is, and his problem has been the third time through the lineup. He doesn't go to the third time in the lineup. Is he, is, is that, but he has pitched in five innings or more in 12 of his 14 starts this year. So he's an innings eater. He's basically what the Phillies tried to get from Syndergaard last year. A guy who just, hey, go out there, throw five innings, and hopefully there are good five innings because we're going to get you out. I mean, for the Phillies, the way their bullpen's set up, if you can get Granky to give you five, you got the sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth. You got a combination of Dominguez, Alvarado, Soto, and Kimbrel. Those guys should be able to each give you an inning, right? In theory. That's the thought of how can the Phillies get a guy who can get you five innings. So that was one guy. Dylan Cease is the other guy that we mentioned. He was second in the Cy Young last year. He's not pitched nearly as well uh, this year for the White Sox. So he would be an option. He's got two years left on the deal. If you make a deal for a guy like him, you're probably going to have to give up a guy like McGarry or, or Abel. So do you want to get a guy who's 27 years old with two years left on his deal and has been a Cy Young you know, runner-up, or do you want to roll the dice and hope that one of your young pitchers, um, you know, you, you, that, that, that guy is going to be able to help you? I mean, honestly, I... I might rather have Grinky than Cease at this point. So, just because of what you have to give up to get him, or that, just because... and also I don't know, like how good is Cease at this point? Uh, I mean, he was really good last year. This year, he's um, struggling. 
but is he struggling because he's in a slump? He's three and three of the four thirty-eight. His whip is one thirty-four. Um, he's uh, yeah. I mean, I'm not giving up one of my big team. three for that. Uh, all right, then you got Lucas Giolito, five and four, three five four ERA. He's got eighty four strikeouts in eighty one innings. I like that. He would be probably like a third starter. You're probably going to have to give up an able, I would imagine. But he I'll give is up a free agent at the end of the year. I'll give up McGarry and Kraus for that. Remember Hans Kraus, the guy a couple of years ago? Yeah, that I trade? was trying to think if he's even healthy. He's a 25th prospect. Yeah, I don't know that he's pitching this year. I think that's what we're saying. I, I think he's hurt. I think he's back, actually. I saw the stats yesterday. He has pitched a couple games this year. Uh, Granky, by the way, is 1 in 6 with a 465 ERA, but his whip is 1.13. The fourth guy is a guy named Michael Lorenzen. Um, he's with Detroit. Did he used to play for the Cardinals? He played for the uh, the Reds. The Reds, okay. Mm-hmm. Through ten starts this year, he's two and three with a three seventy five ERA, but his WHIP is one point oh two. He doesn't walk a lot of guys. He's one of those guys that you just don't get good swings on. But again, you're talking about bottom of the barrel situation here. Oh, Hans Cross has appeared in fifteen games this year. He has twenty six strikeouts and nineteen and two third innings. But he also has a six ERA at AAA. See, he would be an interesting guy. Why wouldn't he have been up by now? I mean, he was up last year. He pitched in some games. Uh, two years ago, was it? I don't know. Maybe the six. Whenever ERAs. they made the trade for him, he he got called up late in that year. Yeah, and has pitched some major league. He came up in twenty twenty one. So you're wondering, okay, why haven't they given him an opportunity? Obviously, he hasn't pitched well enough to to even get that. But those are four guys now. Two of the four, Lucas Giolito and Dylan Cease, I think you would have to give up probably either Griff McGarry, Mick Abel to, to get that deal done. I'm okay with giving up McGarry. I, I feel like he's like the lower tier of the three guys at this point. He is. He's obviously the third of the three. Painter by far number one, Mick Abel. Now, remember, Mick Abel was a first-round pick. And you're he hoping was. that he turns into, you know, a middle-of-the-rotation pitcher. Yeah, we're still hoping that... You know, Andrew Painter turns into something, too. Did you know Carlos Carrasco? Remember, I mean, years ago, my God, it seems like yesterday, but we were talking about Carlos Carrasco was like this untouchable guy. You couldn't trade him. His name came up back when they were looking at Roy Halladay. Mm-hmm. They ended up trading Carlos Carrasco for Cliff Lee. I remember that. You know how old Carlos Carrasco is now? Do the people listening want to feel old? How old I mean, going? he was like a young kid at the time. They he, were going to trade him. He was a big-time prospect. He was the untouchable. You can't trade Carlos Carrasco. He's an untouchable. Yeah, it was like him, Lou Marston. Who else in that trade? Like Jason Donald. Jason Donald, yeah. yeah. Um, they had a bunch of these guys in the minor league system. That None Phillies of them became had. anything. Basically. None of them became anything. But Carrasco is actually still pitching for the Mets. You know how old he is around. now, though? How old is he? 37. Wow. He is 37 years old now, Carlos me, Carrasco. Me and Carrasco might have all been to high school together. Holy mackerel. I couldn't believe. I just was, when I was doing some research uh, for the piece I was writing at 97.3 ESPN. I know that because he's a free agent this offseason. And it listed the ages oh, yeah. of how old some of the free agents are that yeah, are going to be Yeah, that made you agents. feel old. Thirty-seven for Carlos Carrasco. My God, I remember when they they just wouldn't t- they wouldn't trade him. Uh, <laughs> that made me laugh. Uh, all right, um, last night Jokic wins the MVP. So now we start to turn the calendar to the next season, and questions start to emerge. 
Uh, Freddie Coleman, host of Freddie and Fitzsimmons here on 97.3 ESPN, he said something interesting last night on the show. Who does he put all the pressure on in the NBA now? But think of the pressure now, Joel Embiid of the Philadelphia 76ers. Think about when Nikola Jokic finally breaking through and many people wondered if that was ever going to happen in Denver for a guy that was drafted in the second round. Lowest drafted player to ever win an NBA Finals MVP. And many people said, finally, Joel Embiid gets noticed for being the best center in the NBA, being the best player maybe in the NBA. But now think of the pressure that he's going to be under because Nikola Jokic finally broke through and many people still wonder when is that going to happen if ever for Joel Embiid in Philadelphia the 76ers Coleman's not wrong but I'll say this I like the challenge for Embiid because you know what I hope Embiid opened his eyes because there's a guy out there that people are now for two seasons many people thought Jokic shouldn't have won the MVP and you should have now they're saying you shouldn't have won the MVP, and he should have. It's like the reverse. So I hope Joel Embiid has an eye-opening experience. I hope Joel Embiid said, hey, for two seasons, people thought I was the better player, and he won the award. Well, he won the championship that now I won. I got the award from him. He showed me that there's more than basketball than winning the MVP. I hope that Freddie Coleman's right. I hope that Joel Embiid does feel the pressure. And I hope that Joel Embiid embraces the pressure. I don't think Jokic ever felt pressure. If you if you listen to that guy, all right, job's done. I can go back to Serbia now. See ya. Peace. I'm out of here. See you in Denver next year. That guy is mo- uh, emotionless. Jokic is so emotionless. He tried to make a joke last night, and nobody knew he was joking. And he had, after like a, a couple seconds, he had a pause. He was like, that was a joke, guys. I was kidding. Did you see him looking through his phone to see if um, uh, Djokovic texted him? And he picked up his cell phone, and there must have been like a million text messages on right. it. He's like, uh, there's too many texts here. I'm going to turn this thing off. Right, right. <laughs> but listen, Freddie Coleman's not wrong. The pressure now goes to Embiid. You won the MVP. You unseated Jokic. Jokic responded by saying, they give you that award, I win the title. So the pressure becomes, Embiid, you were just named the best player in the league, deservingly so. But you were the best player for 82 games, not the 16. You were the MVP for the regular season, not the most important season. So I hope this is an eye-opening experience for Joel. I hope this is something that he takes personally now because now there are people questioning whether he should have won that award or not. They weren't questioning it at the time. I think 80% of the people said, you know what, I think Joel probably was the better player in the regular season. But in the more important games, he was not the better player. He wasn't, but also you could argue that, you know, Embiid has had two things going against him so far in his career, one of them being injuries, and it's not his fault that he's been injured. And the other part is the fact that he hasn't always had the best teammates around him. You know, a lot of people believe if, you know, Ben Simmons doesn't co- totally mentally collapse in the Hawks series, do they get to a conference finals, an NBA finals? If Kawhi Leonard doesn't have the triple doink, what happens to them, right? There's all kinds of what ifs that go with him. Well, you know how people think, uh, think though. 
What could he have done differently that he didn't need those other people to to do what they what they failed to do? Which and is I know easy it's for unique. people to say who have never actually played that situation. Well, listen, yeah, we all every team. Jokic, he needed Murray. I mean, Murray, by the way, had over ten assists in every single game except for last night. I think. right. You had a guy who had double digit assists in the first four games of the series. I mean, they're the first teammates to ever both have triple doubles in an NBA Finals game. Yeah, so... Like, uh, it's like, that's historic. It, it, they, the two of them last, uh, complimented each other fantastically in these playoffs. But, Freddie Coleman, I agree. The pressure is on Embiid now. Because you have what Jokic had. You took that from him. And now it's almost like the Jordan um, Bird... McDonald's commercials in the 80s. Anything you can do, I can do better. I can do anything better than you. No, you can. Yes, I can. Jokic did better than you. He won a title. You won what he had, but he has what you want. And that's why the pressure is now on. Joel and B. Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. Nick Nurse was asked, can the Sixers pin their playoff failures all on one guy? Which guy was it? Stick around. That's next. This is the Sports Bash. Now, back to... For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger. For the ones who get it done. Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader. 3.53, you know, new Sixers coach, uh, coach Nick Nurse was on with Bill Simmons in the, uh, excuse me, on the Hoops Collective podcast on ESPN with Tim Bontemps, Brian Windhorse, and Tim McMahon. He was asked if the Sixers can pin their playoff failure this season all on one man. Here's what Nick Nurse had to say about that when asked on the Hoops Collective podcast. There isn't a whole lot of guys that can do some of those performances that he did in the playoffs. Nobody's doing that every night, nor should they be expected to. Maxie's got to take a level up. Some of those other games when those guys aren't firing or the game plan has changed or whatever to take those guys out a little more. Tobias, P.J. Tucker will be back. I mean, there's guys there around there that can help Melton. You know, those guys got to do what some of these Nugget guys are doing. You know, have some big-time performances in some of the playoff games as well. So Nurse says the Sixers need everyone to step up, not just Harden. He didn't pin this all on James Harden like many people would, but I think the point that he made at the end, like some of those Nugget guys, Maxie, uh, Harris, um, P.J. Tucker, the Sixers need those guys to step up and help them win a game. You know, how many times did the Sixers win a game when a role player stepped up and won them the game. Now, they won games when it was James Harden winning them a game or Joel Embiid winning them a game. I don't think they, I don't remember a game where they, uh, Maxie, I think Maxie had a night where he helped them win a game. Maxie had a couple, Maxie had a couple nights, but the, he's not talking about Maxie though. He's talking about what you saw in the Nuggets series. The fact that it was Bruce Brown, Christian Brown, Tendavious Caldwell Pope, and there's, you can't 
can't name an NBA championship team that didn't have the other dudes step up. You know, J.J. Barea, John Paxson, you know, Dan Marley, you know, whatever. You know, guys who are not the superstars. I mean, he's right. Really, DeAnthony Melton gave you one game in the Celtics series. He was a ghost for the rest of the series. Uh, Eagles OTAs are over. What issues are still remaining that they need to tend to between now and when they open training camp, which is July 25th? That was reported yesterday. We'll talk to Adam Kaplan for football at four of the NFL OTAs. This is the final week of practice. We'll break it all down. Coming up next here on the Sports Bash with Adam Kaplan from Inside the Birds Podcast and InsideTheBirds.com joins me next. 97.3 ESPN presents the Sports Bash with Mike Gill. It's time for Football at Four with Adam Kaplan. I have real confidence that our football operations uh, can once again create a dominant football team. Powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. Now, live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, it's Football at Four. Football at Four is powered by the Inside the Birds podcast, Jeff Mosher and Adam Kaplan, who is with me on this Tuesday edition of Football at Four, and the Eagles OTAs, they come to a close. The guys talked about some intel they got from those OTAs, and you can listen to the latest podcast, and we can touch on that, but now OTAs in the rear view, Adam Kaplan, and what's coming up next, we now know the date for Eagles training camp. It was announced yesterday that the Burrs will be back on the field in about seven weeks from now. Yeah, Mike, good to be with you. Yeah, so they won't announce the, the full practice schedule, although the fans won't be able to go unless you're a season ticket holder. We'll explain that in a second. But that generally doesn't get announced until within 10 days of training camp. The Eagles aren't the only team that does that. A lot, most of the league waits till. A week or two before training camp starts, so we'll, we'll know by the middle of, of July what the dates are fully. But yeah, it wasn't like this, you know, in the early 2000s when practices were at Lehigh, and, you know, fans obviously got to go there. Uh, so now, since uh, since Chip Kelly wanted to change things in 2013, they moved everything back to uh, the, their uh, home area at Novacare Complex, and the only people who could go are the season ticket holders and selected. There's usually, oh, like 100 to 200 uh, selected season ticket holders who go, and also um, business clients are able to go. They're in a tent and so forth. But, look, it's just not like it used to be. It's which disappointing. I, I don't know about you, but I actually like Lehigh. Uh, maybe I'm one of the few people who actually liked it. Yeah, I mean, did you follow it? Were you with the team in the old Westchester days? I was not. No, I started covering the team in 99, lightly, full-time 2000. Then the whole league, and all 32 teams in, in twenty in um, 2001. But I just remember going, and this is well before Terrell Owens and that acquisition, but just blown away by the, the crowd size. And then when the Owens trade happened at that first practice, which they had around 10,000, it's one of those things that we didn't really, I don't know if we had camera phones back then, but that's something, I'm not someone who collects much, but I would have loved to have had the, just the pictures of the crowd. Like you could, I'm sure you could find that stuff on YouTube, but I would have loved to have seen that again because it was one of these surreal things. Even Joe Banner, when we had him on 
ITV over the years, we talked about it. He was blown away by it. I, I was an intern at the time, 98, and I remember setting things up and just being like, I can't believe how many people are mm-hmm. here for training camp. And that's all kind of out the window now. But July 25th, Eagles training camp. And then they have their practice at the link. And that practice you can buy tickets for. Yes, and there was one on sale yesterday now. Uh, but or was it this today, morning? Today, or yesterday morning? this morning. Oh, this one, okay. So, look, it's not like they sell it out, like they sell 75000 but I don't know if they cap it off. So it's usually they get between thirty and 40000 and, you know, it's a Sunday night. But, again, uh, schools aren't in session then. I know it's uh, depending on how the weather is. Um, will we'll probably depend on how many people they get. But it, it's, it's look, it's the only open practice you get if you're not a season ticket, a season ticket holder. And um, if you're not one of those selected people that get to go or a business client, you should go to this, and they'll let you move down. I know friends have told me with their open seats, you get to move down usually, uh, and p- people love it. You know, obviously you hope the weather holds up. Now, again, there, these practices are controlled. That some it, Sometimes they only practice 45 minutes to an hour, Mike. That's just the way it is, and we'll get to some of the OTA stuff, which we didn't talk about the last week. We got more just kind of a broad overview of what OTAs look around the league. But uh, you know, overall, it's just these practices are not what they used to be. So you can't expect like two hours anymore. That will not happen with Nick Sirianni. Yeah, no two-a-days. Uh, so reporting yeah. date, that's the 25th. What does the reporting date and then what can you kind of expect at these practices early in the camp? Yeah, oh, yeah. So on the reporting date, you cannot practice at all. You can't do anything. All, all that happens is, you know, you see this, it's kind of comical. At least it's something. You get to see the players with bags, and they, they walk in with a clipboard, whatever the case may be, wearing sunglasses. And because the practice are held at Novacare, it's not like they had to clean their locker room out. You know, they, they just go to their locker, uh, and they get to live at home, which the players love that. They, they really don't like going away for the most part. But so, yeah, they, they get there. They have meetings in the afternoon and the evening in particular. The next day, you got the first of the five-day acclimation period. Now, before, in fact, I used to love this. Any spare, no expense. Like the the, the next day, the first day of uh, that you could practice. If they weren't in pads, it was pretty lively. And, and I, for like ten, twelve years, I never missed the first day in pads. There was just something about it being there because you know Andy and John Harbaugh, they were really the last of the the, uh, the dinosaurs there, where they would actually have hitting in practice. Uh, and now it's what we call the thud period. We'll talk more about this in six weeks from now, but the thud is where you use an elbow, a shoulder, but you cannot take anyone to the ground, and that's the big difference here with practices. Yeah, uh, Adam Kaplan, Football at Four, here on the Sports Bash. Uh, you take a look at OTAs and uh, the final week of practices, and uh, really uh, some of the teams are done. Philly, New York, and Cleveland, uh, are, are the rest of the 29 teams, they'll be done, what, by the end of, by Thursday? By Thursday, yes, you can't. It, it's so funny. The players, they want, like, in a collective bargaining agreement in 2011, things change. Like, they want either a Friday or Monday off. You have to have one of the two off. So what they're getting is you cannot practice. They, they, they all end. All 32 are done by fall. They have to be done by Thursday. Some are done by Wednesday. Now, why are the Browns and Jets off? Well, the, the Browns and Jets they they have the Hall of Fame game, so they're they're allowed to report one week early, and their game is one week before everyone else's. Theirs is on uh, August the third, so the both teams uh, cancel their their camps this week. In fact, the Browns kind of reshuffled the deck. They 
they didn't have the, anywhere close to the maximum 13 practices. It's actually 13, not 12. There were three teams that I counted that had 13 o- OTA practices. A fourth would have been the Patriots, but as you know, Mike, uh, they lost some practices, so they, they don't have them. Uh, they didn't have they didn't have the full 13 allotment. But uh, I, I like what I, I like what Robert Solid said that look they they knew this going in that they were going to play in the uh, the Hall of Fame game, so they kind of. They gave the players off this week, but they practiced hard last week. Well, as hard as they're going to practice, I should say. <laughs> but then the Eagles, you know, the Eagles over this will be the third straight year since Sirianni became the head coach. They have the they've had the least amount of OT practices, and quite frankly, though I was skeptical the first year, I'm all for it, Mike. Twenty two and twelve in the regular season, playoffs both years, one Super Bowl appearance, and and I don't want to knock, you don't want to jinx anything here, but. Uh, their injury stuff last year, their injury numbers were pretty good. So, how do you knock it? A lot, and, and it, I have no problem with people knocking it the first year because you're in, you're installing systems, new systems, but yet you're not practicing as much. In the end, Mike, I can't argue with it because it worked. It sure did. Uh, they obviously um, went to the Super Bowl last year. They're looking to build off that this year. So to do so, the OTAs are over. We now know training camp, but. What issues are still remaining on the offensive side of the ball between now and September when they start the season that they still need to identify? Right before we get to that, I do want to add the Bengals, as I told you last time, the Bengals are definitely practicing this week. But the Eagles and and Bengals have the least amount of practices. The Eagles were the only team not to have a mandatory camp, which all I could tell you is it seems to work and – that's all about that. So, all right, let's get over to the remaining issues. Now, the biggest mystery here is at running back. We'll do defense on thir- on uh, Friday's segment. Nobody, I, I've seen a lot of speculation. I could tell you the Eagles are not exactly sure. They have a general idea of what it could look like, but they won't know until they get into practices so, so in, in training camp. So let's, let me give you an idea, of Mike, of the way I think this is going to go. And I know for people who play fantasy, you know, you're probably going to want to Probably going to want to have an idea. So, the Eagles don't have a starter for the first time. You know, since seventeen, they'll, they'll go with a rotation. And now, theoretically, let's say they have a lead in the fourth quarter because of his size. It's probably going to be Rashad Penny to close the game out. Now, if Trey Sermon makes the team, and I don't know what it is with Nick Sirianni with Trey Sermon, he's—I don't know if it's he—you he, know how he feels about Quez Watkins, but he just—he always throws something in about Trey Sermon. Like I, it's interesting. Now, if Sermon's on the team, he could be that guy. But the general first and second down role is going to be split between Swift, Penny, and probably Gainwell. But Gainwell, as you know, Mike, was the hurry up back in the third down back last year. He was certainly not their primary back. That that was not going to happen. But because of Swift and Penny's injury history, Mike, Gainwell could get a little bit of those first and second down plays if he doesn't have another bad training camp. If you remember, Mike, it it was being nice about it. It was it was on it, it was inconsistent, and then it just didn't have the role that they were expecting. And it, it, they, they thought he would be a major factor. He was not until late in the season. And the hope is he carries this over. But Gaywell's got to be better from the start. There's there's no excuses anymore, Mike. This is his third year in the system, third year as a, in a, as a pro. And it, it's not a good sign. They brought in Swift and Penny, and they love Sermon. You know, Boston Scott's back. So when you look at trying to divvy up carries, it's literally impossible to figure that out. They're not going to know until they get into training camp. It's one thing for these guys to be in shape in OTAs, but they're not going to know until they get through the first two weeks of training camp on what the exact roles will look like. But they're going to have some tough calls here because legitimately 
Those five backs, Swift, Gainwell, Penny, and Scott, and Sermon, all have a reasonable shot to be on the football team. Money will not matter at all for any of these guys. It is zero factor whether they'll be on the team or not. The, the guaranteed money is so low. Even Scott got the most of it. It doesn't matter. It's all about how they perform. And performances will largely determine what the roles will be. Yeah, and we saw Miles Sanders come out yesterday and said he wasn't happy with his role. <laughs> I'm interested to see if Sirianni gives these guys more of a role than he gave Sanders, who, by the way, had 1,200 yards and 11 yeah. touchdowns. Yeah, I don't know what, like, did Miles forget they had a hand injury? I mean, it, I don't know what he was expecting. He got hurt in the first quarter. Now, did he, did he say that, hey, my hand was fine and they should have put me back in? I can't answer that. I, I don't. I didn't see that part of it. But that's something he should have talked about. But look, he got he believe it or not, he got the best free agent contract. Thirteen million thirteen million as I reported at the time, fully guaranteed at signing. Six point two five million per season, which doesn't sound like a lot, but considering nobody got a better deal, he should be feel pretty happy about that. And uh talking to the Panthers, they think he's gonna be a three down back, believe it or not. We'll see how he does in training camp, but don't forget he's back with Stu Staley as the running backs coach. All right, uh, over the OTAs, now that they're done, one of the other guys you mentioned, Sermon, the other name we heard a lot was Quez Watkins. His name was brought up a lot. So uh, between now and the start of the season, the number three wide receiver, is that still an issue? Yeah, well, it's still wide open. Nobody knows. I mean, uh, OZ Alamede Zacchaeus is a guy, a guy that I've always liked. He's just a little small. Uh, but he's more of a, what we call a Z receiver who can play the slot. He's play, that, the Z receiver is the move receiver opposite the X receiver, which is A.J. Brown. Now, Sirianni's told the personnel staff, the coaches, we don't call them X and Z. We call them inside and outside receivers. He wants his slot receivers, other than Britton Covey, to be able to play on the outside. Covey really can't. Watkins can. Watkins, right now, if the season started, would be the top Back up to A.J. Brown and Zacchaeus would be the top back up to Smith. And they'll just figure this out in training camp, what it, what it really looks like. But it would be nice if Britton Covey, Mike, could get some snaps on offense during games, not just the preseason or training camp. So I was a little surprised. that I, I, I From what I understand, he wasn't physical enough and he wasn't consist, consistent enough in training camp. That's why he never really played the slot there. He was really good, by the way, in OTAs last year. I know you can't touch the receivers. He had some good plays in training camp, but it was not good enough. And the hope here is that he pushes for a role on game day other than being a punt returner. Uh, the other one would be right guard, obviously. And I don't know what we learned from these OTAs. I think one interesting thing is, I think Jeff mentioned this yesterday. I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on it. It was Jurgens got some the snaps at center because, you know, Kelsey yeah. not there. So is Jurgens being looked at differently? You got uh, Driscoll, who's the only guy who's played right guard. And then, of course, Steen, who you drafted. So right guard between now and then, how are the Eagles kind of breaking down that battle? Yeah, so... Steen is the, the heavy favorite. There's, in fact, it would be a disappointment, Mike, quite frankly, if he doesn't win the right guard job. That that, that would not be good, uh, quite frankly, because that would mean that Jurgens is really not a guard. He's just not. I mean, they could, they, they'll could they try it. We'll see what happens. You know, hope for the best there. He's really a natural center because of his athleticism. He's not that strong. Remember, this guy, play, this guy was a tight end his whole life, and then he played offensive line two years at Nebraska, and he had to learn on the run, and he played – obviously, he – was mostly a center, a little bit of guard. They, they cross-trained him, but he, he, we'll see. And, of course, Jack Driscoll, who uh, Jeff said he saw that he, he, he beefed up, and that's that's good. Uh, we'll see. It's Again, it's completely wide open. They don't know for sure, but I, I would put odds of 2-1 to one that Steen wins it. That would be my personal odds for it at right guard. Now, 
in OTAs over the six, not just the, the two practices that the media saw. For Kelsey, when he didn't work, it was uh, it was Jurgens, it was Cameron Tom, and Brett Toth, and I believe Julian Good-Jones got some run. Now, I don't know if it was second team, first team with all these guys. Well, I know Jurgens definitely got work with the ones. I just don't know about the other guys getting work with the ones. But in the end, it should be Steen at right guard. He, he really, and from a mental standpoint, from what I'm told, it's, he's a pretty sharp kid. He's pretty strong. He just does have long arms. Um, that that's the issue. That's why he can't play tackle at the next level. By the way, I should note this. We haven't really talked about this before, but well, I talked to multiple teams about Steen. Two teams told me they also did not have him graded as a left tackle. They had him moving into guard. Now, they didn't say right guard. They just said guard. Mm-hmm. So you should know that. Uh, Adam Kaplan, football for one other guy I want to get your thoughts on is Dan Arnold on the offensive side of the ball because uh, it, it's funny. They brought him in in that tight end spot. Is that something that the, that's up for grabs, or do they think that you know Goddard, uh, Stoll, and Calcaterra will be the guys again? Yeah, it's going to be a wide-open battle between Darnold and Darnold. Dan Arnold. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> uh, Dan Arnold and Grant Calcaterra for the number three job. Neither could block very well. Arnold is a vertical tight end, as is Calcaterra. Calcaterra does not run as well as Arnold. Arnold is a Arnold is a former wide receiver at Wisconsin Platteville. Uh, he's a guy that coaches love because he could run. And Clay Harbor was actually with, uh, you know, he covered the, you know, he kind of covers the Jaguars a little bit. He's very close to the team because you know he played for them, and he he knows Arnold's game. And and we're talking to the Panthers. They they signed him. They gave him a decent free agent deal. For being a backup, but he just is not physical enough. Stahl's their unquestioned wide tight end. They don't have another Y on the team. That's why he's on the team. He's coaches absolutely adore this kid. What people don't know, Mike, is when he went to Nebraska, he was known as an athletic move tight end. Move tight end is a guy that does not stay in, in line. And then because of his injury, he had a I'm told a partial MCL sprain and another some other stuff with in his last year at Nebraska. He kind of had to learn how to block more because he couldn't move as well, and he became a great, really good positional blocker. And he wowed the Eagles in their rookie camp in 21, and he's been their wide tight end since. No one's even come close to beating him out, Mike, quite frankly. All right, uh, there you go. Let's look at the offense. We'll go down the defensive uh, questions between now and training camp. July 25th is when the Eagles report. Adam's back on Friday. More football at 4 tomorrow. Jeff Mosher's here on the Sports Bash. Thanks, Adam. You got it, thank you. Yeah, football at four continues on on this off-season brigade to the start of the training camp season, which really uh, is here in, what, less than seven weeks from now. Sports Bash is all over that. We're your home for Eagles football. The 2023 season will be here before you know it. Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. When we come back, sound of the day. Yes, indeed. In today's sound of the day, one NBA player to keep an eye on this offseason all that and more Jimmy Butler Michael Malone you know we talk about coaches in the NBA is Michael Malone one of the best coaches in the NBA now when we ask the question throughout the year no one ever says Michael Malone's great but is he now the best coach in the NBA just overnight just like that that's next sound of the day Sports Bash, don't go away, 97.3 ESPN. Now, back. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, 
offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. Four twenty-six. Time for the sound of the day. Sound of the day. We pick a couple clips. We react to them here on the Sports Pass. Josh Shennings, my producer. You know, when you win the championship the night before, there's a lot of reaction, furthering. You know, the NBA odds for the championship for next year are out. Denver's the favorite, four to one. Boston's number two, thirteen to two. Milwaukee, eight to one. Dallas, nine to one. Is there something we don't know? The Dallas, nine to one. I feel like they're hedging their bet there. Phoenix nine to one, Golden State twelve to one, the Lakers fourteen to one, Philadelphia fourteen to one, the Clippers sixteen to one, Memphis eighteen to one, Miami by the way is twenty five to one. How about Sacramento thirty three to one to win the championship? They were the uh, what two or three seed in the West this year, and they're thirty three to one. You want a long shot that you can be like, hey, they might be uh, something fun to watch. How about Oklahoma City at eighty five to one? To win the NBA championship, okay. So you might be like two years away, but I get your. I get yeah, your I'm saying if you want to just you know eighty five to one, hey, here's ten bucks. Yeah, just throw ten bucks on it, have a little fun. If it works out, great. If it doesn't, you know you're not, not crying about it. Nah, ten bucks shouldn't uh, set anybody back. And if People it does, spend ten uh, bucks at Wawa every day. There you go. Yeah, you want to do a little long shotter right there. The other long shotter. You know, if you, uh, you know, is, uh, San Antonio 100 to 1, if Victor Wambanyana is that great and he just like changes the complexion of the organization in one, you know, fell swoop, they're 100 to 1. If you believe. Yeah. I mean, look, think about this. Indiana's 150. Utah's 125. The Bulls are 125. I mean, the worst odds for next year, Detroit is 4. 100 to 1 to win the NBA championship. Poor Monty Williams. They had to overpay him to get him to get a job. Yeah, well, they got a lot of young talent. They've been tanking for a while. (laughs) One of these years, uh, the NBA stepped in and pushed. No, never mind. That happens. (laughs) Well, part of Sound of the Day is an organization that didn't press the panic button. That was the Denver Nuggets. And this morning on. Keyshawn, Jabel, and Max, Tim Bontemps was asked, well, what about Mike Malone now? Where does Mike Malone stand in the pantheon of the league's best head coaches? Bontemps, this morning on 97.3 ESPN. He's got to be right near the top of the list, Jabel. I mean, he's done a phenomenal job, and and it's also a, a testament to the way Denver's organization has been run, right? I mean, Two of the, I believe, the second and third longest tenured coaches in the league were coached in this series, and Bo and 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 Michael uh, behind Pop. And you know, they the the Nuggets could have fired Michael Malone after they didn't make the playoffs in his third season for a third year in a row. Lost to Jimmy Butler and the Wolves in you know the first sort of de facto play-in game in the final game of the regular season, uh, but they stuck with him, and the results have have borne out. Well, I talked about this back in the first hour of the show. Michael Malone, the coach, missed the playoffs three straight years. Can you imagine if that happened here? 
Can you imagine if the coach missed the playoffs for three straight seasons and the team stuck with that guy? Now, they did that with Brett Brown, and people hated it. That's true. Michael Malone missed the playoffs three straight years, not by tanking because they weren't good enough. They won 40 games. They won 45 games, I think, one year and didn't make it. Yeah, it, they they weren't tanking in Denver, but they were they were trying to figure things out. And part of that figuring out process was people may not remember this, but they had both Nikola Jokic and Yusuf Nurkic on the same team. And they chose Jokic over Nurkic. That was part of their development process. Yeah, they had uh, uh, Nurkic and traded him to Portland. That's correct. And basically said, look, we're going to break up these two big guys. But I think his point is interesting. Michael Malone, he says, is one of the best coaches in the league. Well, last year, or two years ago, I guess it was, well, Mike Budenholzer was supposed to. Oh, he was one of the best coaches. Just winning the championship, does that put you on a different level as a coach? Yes, because winning a championship shows that you are able to get through to the players on the court in a way to get them to play at the level necessary to win. All right, so why doesn't Budenholder have a job? Because two reasons. One, Milwaukee had a disgraceful exit, and people have been – there have been long reported stories that Bootenholzer didn't get along with the front office. And two, they have a new owner in Milwaukee who, and the guy who's in charge right now didn't hire him. Great. Why doesn't anybody else pick him up? There was a lot of job openings. He won a championship. Once he won that title, by the way, Bootenholzer has won a ton of games in the regular season. He has been a guy who has won 60 plus games in the regular season multiple times. So, how come people didn't look at him and say, this guy's a great coach. He's won 60 games. He's won championships. Why isn't that valued? I would go with the first reason. Apparently, he's got some sort of disgruntled relationship with people in front offices, both in Atlanta and Milwaukee. Apparently, he's better with the players than his bosses. Well, I think it's interesting because all of a sudden, Michael Malone is not a guy that anybody ever mentioned. Ever. Ever. When you talk about who are the best coaches in the league – I mean, I don't even know that people come up with five anymore. It's really come up with three. Basically. It's like Spolstra. Some people say Popovich still, but even he has kind of fizzled out because why? The team isn't any good. Yeah, the team's horrible. So Spolstra is usually at the top of the list. Right. And then after that, it's some sort of amalgamation of a couple different guys. Like, you know, people like to throw out their Monty Williams. People like to throw out their, I mean, People, Monty people, Williams got fired. He got fired. Got hired. <laughs> but I'm saying we're talking about. But this goes back to what is the coach? What does he mean? This guy Michael Malone, nobody thought was one of the best coaches. Now all of a sudden he wins a championship. Oh, he's got to be one of the best. Is simply just having the best players make you the best coach? It seems like is the answer to the question. Well, that's not true either because there's a lot of teams you know who had. Great players, but never won with those players. Doug Collins never won in Chicago with the Bulls. Del Harris never won with the Lakers in L.A. Well, let's say this. If Doug Collins was still the coach and they ended up getting Pippen and Jordan and Kukoc and kept getting in the players, would he eventually have won that title? No. Because they already had Pippen when they fired Doug Collins. Yeah, but I'm saying if they played together more than one year and he got the chance to let them grow together as a duo. Hey, I got Horace Grant. Hey, I got Tony Kukoc. Hey, I got Dennis Rodman. Something tells me if he got the opportunity to grow with that team, 
that he probably could have been the answer to the quiz as well. I don't think so because I think that the coach does matter in that they are they are very important at managing the players. And I think Doug Collins showed in multiple coaching stops, Chicago, Detroit, and Philadelphia, that he can get your team to a certain point, but he does not have the magical elixir to get you beyond that. Well, he certainly didn't have the players in Philadelphia. That's for certain. And at the stage he was in Chicago, I don't know that it's fair to say that they were a championship team at that time. They weren't, but obviously there were reasons that have been documented that, you know. Oh, he's definitely bristly. There's no question about that. You know, for example, you know, if I'm reading, if I'm reading this correctly, you know, Jordan and Pippen were together for three years before they won a championship. So, you know. If you want to say that maybe if Doug Collins would have gotten them in the fourth year, maybe that have been different, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, Murray and Jokic were together for seven years before they finally got one. Right. So, you know? And Malone was with them the whole time. And by was. the way, Malone is also thought to be a little prickly. Well, maybe prickly is good for certain players. Exactly. So, again, it doesn't mean that Doug Collins couldn't. It just means they gave up on him and went to somebody else. It's like everything. Hey, John Gruden came in and won a championship in Tampa Bay. Uh, could Tony Dungy not win that championship? I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe, maybe not. We have no Maybe answer. certain coaches are just not good for certain players. That's 100% accurate. Some people take the different personality differently. No question. John Gruden went elsewhere, and he was just an average coach. Yeah. So he stepped into a situation that was kind of handed to him. Dungy didn't get him over the top, but Dungy went on to win a championship elsewhere. Right, with the Colts. So he's proven he could win a championship. He just didn't get it done there. I don't know that Michael Malone is one of these great in-game tacticians. But what I think Michael Malone has obviously shown in that Denver organization is that he sets a great culture. And he sets... um you know, the style of play around Jokic. He's allowed Jokic to be Jokic. That's right. Some coaches don't want to do that. They don't want a seven-foot guy bringing the ball up to court and being the player that he has. So for that, yeah, he gets a lot of credit. But I don't think anybody's going to look at Michael Malone and say he's some great in-game tactician. You know, no one's watching them and saying, man, they made all these crazy adjustments and they did X, Y, and Z. No, he just did a good job of letting Jokic be Jokic. But you also could argue that maybe he knew better than anyone else how to let Jokic be Jokic. And maybe that's part of the conversation as well. Well, Similar- again, this goes back to coaches have an impact. Many times the fans think their impact is more in-game X and O, where I say their impact is more off the court before the game on the off days. Right. And those are two very different things. Absolutely. But I value my coach to have a bigger impact on the off days Many of the fans only care about in-game. By the way, speaking of culture, so about heat culture, Jimmy Butler, after the loss last night, Jimmy Butler has now been the two NBA Finals with the Miami Heat, but he hasn't won a championship either time, three conference finals in four years as well. Jimmy Butler said this last night about his time so far in Miami. It's been great. I've had some... Hell of a teammates come through here and compete with me. 
um, and to give us the opportunity to win a championship, um, which I still believe with everything in me that we will do as a team here, as an organization, as a city in Miami. Um, the four years have been great. Um, it's always great to be wanted and loved and appreciated, and I don't think that that's going to change. Um, but for the time being, like I just said to Nick, uh, I'm just I'm, I'm grateful, man, that we made it here. Um, came up short, but I I'm blessed. I'm fortunate. A lot of interesting stuff there from Butler. You know, um, um, he mentioned that he's grateful that he's appreciated and all that stuff. Does he feel that he was not appreciated in his previous stops, I wonder? Absolutely. There's a lot of talk that when he was in Chicago, people didn't, you know, get along with him after uh, Tom Thibodeau. Well, he's been another guy who's been accused to be pretty prickly. Right. And then he went, (laughs) well, then the infamous incident, he goes to Minnesota and he's, he walks in the one day and takes the whole basically third string team and beats the starters and He's telling, you know, Carl Anthony Towns he's going to date his mom. He's going to take her out for a good time. And apparently Towns and Wiggins couldn't handle his trash talk. So there's a possibility that Jimmy Butler is probably very high on the misunderstood list. Yeah, I mean, listen, in the Bulls days, now this is when I became a fan of Butler. I've told this story a couple of times, but I was there the night in Philly when he scored 50 against the Sixers in overtime to beat them. The, the Sixers were in the process years, but they were up by like 25 points, and Butler comes out of nowhere, scores 50, ties the game up, sends it to overtime. At that point, I said, man, this guy Butler, he's just uh, he's just another level. Now, we were talking about this last night. You know, people discount Bam. I mean, Bam's a multiple-time All-Star. He's mm-hmm. been an Olympian, right? and he's a four-time All-Second-Team defense. That's true. So he's not some slouch out there, but I don't think people look at Butler and Bam as this, you know, this great duo. And what I think separates Butler from the duos that do get more credit, like, I don't know, who would you rather have, Butler and Bam or Giannis and Middleton? Giannis and Middleton. And I think most of the people would agree. Who would you rather have, Tatum and Brown or Butler and Bam? Tatum and Brown. Okay. Embiid, Harden, or Butler and Bam. And then I go Butler, Bam. Okay. <laughs> I think what separates Butler, you, you and I think what's the conversation, what you just kind of went the one way, because Embiid, and even though Embiid led the league in scoring, by the way. Yeah, to me it's less about, it's, it's, it's the idea that when you have a duo, it's both players, not one player. And the problem is, is that Jimmy by himself only does so much for you. The, this is the way I, I Butler is a competitor. His co- level of compete is unparalleled. Correct. The difference between him and these other guys is they are top-level scorers. Butler is not a top-level scorer. That's kind of, I think, in the end, what makes him come up short in these moments. Is like last night. He's just not a top level scorer. He just can't manufacture the buckets the same way that a Tatum can or a Giannis. Like those guys can just, they are better pure scorers. Butler is a high level competitor. Right. And that is why Miami. And him, I think, just falls short in these moments. And, you know, and I'm, when I make this analogy, I'm not saying he's the same player. But there, 
there's something to Butler in his game that does give you a little bit of that Jordan vibe where it's like Jordan was the greatest competitor to ever play basketball to me. You know, he literally had the fire burning in his eyes every time he walked on the court. The problem was is that he didn't always have the people around him to help complement that competitive nature. And I think Jimmy's problem is, like you said, his strength is not the thing that his team needs him to do more often than not. That team was carried in some ways by being an elite three-point shooting team at times. And Jimmy Butler would will them across the finish line. Well, Jimmy, he needs a guy who's got the same one-two, but who can score when Jimmy's not hitting those shots. Yeah, I know. I, I, I brought this up to my buddy later. Like, as much as I, Butler, I thought, was great in these playoffs, he was great and had unbelievable games. The Heat were where they were because they just shot the lights out unconsciously for two months. They just shot the lights out from three. They were arguably the best three-point shooting team in the postseason. You know, you go back to Jimmy Butler against the Raptors in that series for Philadelphia. You know, he averaged 16 points in that series. Um, not in the, in the, not in the series. Um, let me bring that back up. The game seven against that Raptors team. There we go. Sorry. Game seven against that Raptors team. You know, he just didn't have, he got the late bucket. Like he'll score like last night, late in the game, he kind of came back, right? But throughout the series, too many highs, too many lows. In that series, he scored 22 points a game. 22 points a game, it's not like, huh, that stinks. But the, you know, you look at the, the best, the, the, the guys who you're like looking at, Kawhi Leonard in that series averaged 35. Your guy averaged 22. Now you're saying Bede only scored 17. Certainly not good enough. But Jimmy Butler, people act like, you know, well, Jimmy Butler comes up, he shows up in the playoffs. 22 in the series against Toronto when the other guy's got 35. That's the difference. If your guy's Jimmy Butler and he's getting you 22, it doesn't mean he was bad. It just means you, you, you're constantly the bridesmaid, never the bride. The other problem with Jimmy is, is Jimmy is a facilitator at times, too. He's very good at handling the ball. Oh, by the way, the shot he took late in the game, the last three he took was horrible. Yeah, unnecessary. A horrible shot selection. That time there, they passed him the ball. He was forced. He it. forced it. You, you get the ball. You take, you know, I was texting back and forth. My boss said, you get two and foul and extend this game. And he shoots an off-balance three. It was terrible. But guess you, what? That That's part of what you sacrifice when you bring in a guy like Jimmy Butler. You're sacrificing, you're sacrificing efficiency. You're, 16 points he scored in that game seven against the Raptors, by the way. Not good enough. A team like Miami needs to make a decision this offseason. Are they content or do they want to win a championship? Well, that's the, but that becomes the problem. You get to the finals. You're there. And then you look at yourself in the mirror and you say to yourself, are we really good enough or do we just get really hot from three? They just got really hot from three. They've been to the finals twice in what, four years? Two different versions of a team, though. But Jimmy Butler, the main guy. Jimmy Butler and Bam were both on those teams. So you have to ask yourself, is this duo, you know, are we, are we, I mean, Jimmy's now, see, this is where the Sixers got into that conundrum. Butler's now 35. How many, I mean, he looks spent last night, by the way. 
How many more runs do you have as Jimmy Butler as the main guy on your team? That's another problem. I, my answer would be this is probably the last one. All right. What else and, you got? I was going to say they, they need help. They, he needs another running partner. Well, would Hero have been enough help? No. I don't think so either, but some people have suggested, hey, the way they play, the way they shoot the ball, if you had Hero playing at a high level, maybe having that extra shooter. It might have won them another game or two, but I don't think it would have won them the series. Uh, a guy who might be available, we talked about him yesterday, Bradley Beal. What is the latest on the Bradley Beal market? Brian Windhorst this morning on Get Up. Last week, Michael Winger, the, the new president of the Washington Wizards, said he had been given clearance by ownership to do a complete rebuild. And that has left everybody in the league wondering what about the future of Bradley Beal. Now, Beal has a unique contract, unlike anybody else's in the NBA. He has a no-trade clause, which means not only can he decide if he wants to leave the Wizards, but he can decide who and what he is traded for. Yeah, he's going to be the guy to keep an eye on. Now, I'm glad he talked about that and everything because all the Sixers fans are going to start talking about Beal. But the more and more I start thinking about Bradley Beal, I'm really concerned about the contract that we talked about yesterday. He's been hurt a lot. His scoring average has gone down and down. His shooting percentage has gone down and down. The more I think about it, the more I get concerned about having that contract stuck on my books. Look, you're at the end of one contract with Tobias Harris. To get a trade for Bradley Beal, you most likely would have to have a Harris for Beal swap. And while Beal's a better player, you could be sitting in a situation where you're talking about a really bad contract for three years. And I don't know that that's the best way. To, it just sounds like, hey, Bradley Beal, he would be the perfect guy. Is he the same player? If I'm getting Bradley Beal from three years ago, four years ago, okay. But I haven't seen that guy in two years. Yeah, the problem with Beal is the injuries. He can't stay healthy the last couple of years. And now you're asking a guy who's had two seasons that were injury-plagued. You're now going to pay him 40 to $60 million over the next few years. That's really hard to stomach. After going through the contract board last night, I said, let me look at this Beal contract again. It is a tough, tough contract to support. I know Tobias Harris... But he's on the last year of that deal. You get out from that Harris deal, you can then be a player in free agency next offseason. I have to look at who the free agents next year will be, though. The free agent class, I believe, next year is better than this year. They're talking about the future. Let me uncover that. I'll dig those names up on the other side. Stick around for Sports Bash 97.3 ESPN. Coming up tonight at 5, Doc Rivers on the Bill Simmons pod. He poured out his heart and soul. He laid it all out there. You'll hear that audio in about 13 minutes. Stick around. Now. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger. For the ones who get it done. Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader. 453, so the free agent class. So let's say the Sixers don't trade Tobias Harris. They let him play, and then he walks. The free agent class in 2024 would be Clay Thompson, Chris Middleton, 
Pascal Siakam, Christos Porzingis, Gordon Hayward, Kyle Lowry. Lowry's going to be 38. DeMar DeRozan, Jalen Brown. You could go after Jalen Brown. That would uh, interest people, I would imagine, right? I'd be interested in Siakam. I think a Siakam and B duo will be very fun to watch. Mm, I don't know if he's a good enough shooter. I mean, he needs a guy who can shoot. Um, there's not a guy on this list, though. <laughs> That's the problem. Sabonis would be interesting, but him and Embiid would probably not be a good pairing. Nah, I think that would be underwhelming. DeJounte Murray, he kind of disappointed in Atlanta. Yeah. Um, yeah, not a lot on this list. Of course, it's hard to know with Murray. I mean, is he is, is the situation in Atlanta just a byproduct of the mess that was last year? Not a lot on this list. That's the free agent class uh, that you're looking at. That's the top end guys, anyway. You know, Patty Mills, I feel like, is a free agent every year. Always, He's always on every list. And then people get excited, like, oh, you got to get Patty Mills. Then he never plays. Yeah, Patty Mills is like the forever rumored guy. Yeah, Patty Mills. Uh, so Clay Thompson, he would be 34 years old. You get uh, one or two, uh, you know, that's the problem. You get guys are just, you let Harris walk. You got this space opened up, and there's not really a, a big time guy at the top of that list that you can really target. And guess what? Can't guarantee Sixers in free agency. I mean, Philadelphia is not like some place people are going to bang the door to come play for. Yeah, is Jalen Brown really going to come here instead of filling the blank other team? Jalen Brown even going to be in Boston next year. That's true, too. All right, coming up on the other side, Sports Bash continues here on 97.3 ESPN. Doc Rivers explains the Sixers' Game 7 loss from his perspective. He was a guest on the latest Bill Simmons podcast. You'll hear what he says about that and plenty more. Don't go away. That's next. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. Five o'clock, Sports Bash, final hour for me. We're hanging out together till six. Doc Rivers on the Bill Simmons podcast. A lot of interesting stuff. He explained how Joel Embiid can take the next step. Why James Harden, why coaching James Harden was, quote, challenging. Very revealing stuff on the Bill Simmons podcast. They taped the podcast right after game five last night. Rivers also revealed what went wrong for the Sixers in that game seven and game six loss in this year's playoffs. So some revealing cuts about to be played. Uh, Doc Rivers, you know, here he gets a chance to kind of speak a little bit more freely. He doesn't have to speak and then go answer to anybody uh, when it's all over. When it's all said and done, you don't have to go back and see anybody. So he can kind of speak a little bit more freely about what he thought. The Sixers, of course, fired Rivers uh, right after the season. And he spoke about his thoughts about his tenure in Philadelphia. Uh, about the players he got to coach. He reflected on working with Joel Embiid and kind of talked about what Joel Embiid can do to take the next step as a player, 
a leader, and to help the Sixers win a championship. Here's Doc Rivers on the Bill Simmons podcast. Number one, he has to be healthy in the playoffs, you know, and, and this was the healthiest, but he still wasn't 100%. Then number two for, for Joe is he, he's got to make all his players better uh, in the playoffs. And Joe, his numbers are unfair because he's really, if you look at his numbers in the last three years in the playoffs, compared to his regular season numbers, they're not very good. Uh, but a lot of that is due to the first year I had him, he, he hurts his knee. The next year he gets hit in the face, he uh, tears the ligaments in his hand. And then this year he has a knee injury. And he was never the same once he came back this year. So health is number one. Health is number one. I don't know. Does that make anybody feel any better to hear the coach kind of say, hey, listen, if you're out there and you're kind of down on Joel Embiid, Keep in mind that he's been hurt. Now, the person out there would say, well, he's constantly hurt, and that's fair. But does that mean there's another level of Joel Embiid that we have been robbed of seeing because of the freakish nature of the injuries that he had discussed there? I don't know how to take that one. Is that a knock on Embiid, or is that a positive for Embiid? That, hey, if this guy's healthy, there's another level of player. We see it all the time during the regular season. Why don't we get to see that guy in the playoffs? He said his numbers are down... But that's not fair. And he said that's due to injury. So uh, what is the second thing that Embiid needs to do to take his team and his game to the next level? Joe, and he has the ability, Bill. Uh, now, I stayed on him daily. Um, he has the ability to make his teammates better. And when he does that, if you look at our games this year, when, when he did that and dominated hard to go away from Joel Embiid. Uh, it really is. He's just got to do that on a consistent basis, not just on the court, but also off the court. Just just be around your guys and spend time with your guys and, and let them know that you love them because they love you. And and so I thought that Joe in, in the three years, you can see the growth there. Yeah, I mean, Embiid has gotten better as a passer. He's nowhere near the level that a player like, let's say, uh, Jokic is, okay? That's fair to say. He has a point. Embiid has to get better at making his teammates better. He has improved in that area, but it has been small incremental improvement over his career, and he needs to continue to get better and create opportunities for others. He also needs to be more consistent in his game, as Doc Rivers pointed out. Some nights he's Joel Embiid, 47 points, 18 rebounds, like he was against Jokic when they met uh, back in Philadelphia. And then, you know, he can't have nights where he scores 16, 14 points in the playoffs. Those playoff inconsistencies is where he has really hurt himself in terms of the way people are viewing him today and in his playoff career. So... You take a look at Jokic and what he does really well, he makes other players better. He has better players around him, but he makes those better players around him even better than they are because he sets them up. And Embiid could certainly, I think, get better at that when it comes to how uh, he could take his you know uh, game to the next level. Another thing Rivers kind of hinted at, and I talk about this a lot, but I think it's forgotten, is... Embiid has just not played a lot of basketball. He just does not have a lot of basketball in his background. So we always ask, well, how much better can he get? I don't know. How much better, you know, 
do most players get who start playing at, say, 7 years old, 8 years old, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, high school, college? Embiid really played one year of college basketball. Then he missed two full seasons. He talked about his inexperience. You know, we forget how young he is. We also forget his first two years he didn't play. Yeah. And, Bill, I'm telling you, that sets a tone. Like, when you miss two years and you're sitting there all the time and you get used to not planning games, that sets a tone. You know, Ben Simmons went through the same thing. He missed the first year. Um, and so fighting that early on when I first got there was huge. Joe, you need to play tonight. Joe, you can play tonight. Now he's up in games. And so he's doing it. He's, he's crossed that barrier. The next one will be making his teammates better. When he does that, it's going to be hard to stop. And I think he will do it. I just think, you know, we forget his age and we forget how he started in this league. I think that's an encouraging thing to hear that he will do it. And that's coming from a guy who no longer has ties to this organization. Uh, he can say, you know, hey, that's something that I'm not sure he can work at. He said it before with about Ben Simmons. I don't know that we can win with him as the point guard. He could easily say, and I don't know that Joel Embiid's ever going to get there. He seemed pretty confident. And I guess that shows what Doc has seen in his work ethic over the last three seasons of where he got him as a player and where he is as a player now. He said, remember, he missed those two years. He sat out for two seasons. How many people come back after missing two years of anything and turn into the same player? Look, Deshaun Watson missed one year, and he stunk last year, (laughs) right? So you miss time. You don't just come right back and become the player that you were. Embiid has worked himself up to an MVP-level player. But is there more there? All right, another thing Doc talked about, I guess – you know, when you talk about the Sixers, you talk about all the losing that they had to get to where they are today. Does Doc Rivers think, and was he brought on here to try to change that? And does he think that this was something that lingered in that organization? Yeah, I, you can feel it all through the organization. And, uh, you know, Elton, uh, when he brought me in, that's, that's what he told me. Like, hey, this is not just about coaching this team. We're bringing you in here to change the culture. And he meant everywhere. And he allowed me to come in and we looked through the whole organization. I'm talking about trainers, equipment managers, everybody. And, you know, Bill, I think you've been around me enough. If if you're not on board, if you're not trying to win, if that's not what you're breathing every day, for me, it's time to go. And I meant that with everybody in the organization. And overall, you know, I, I thought we were starting to get it done. You could see, you know, the change in the culture. That's interesting because I can hear people out there saying about the other stuff that Doc said, "Ah, I don't believe him. But if you hear him say this and you don't like what the Sixers did, you're probably saying, oh, no, no, I agree with him there. Can't have it both ways. You either agree with him fully or you don't agree with him at all. And what Doc is saying, yeah, you got to change the culture. And that's something that he thought they were doing, still doing, changing the culture there. And... He kind of, and he furthers this conversation by saying that they need to continue to kind of change that. And they brought him in there to help. He was a championship coach from Boston. And he said, we were going in that direction. So it gives you some pretty good indication of why a guy like Nick Nurse was hired. Because Doc says the organization needs to continue to go down that path. The growth of that is there. Uh, I think they still have some growth in that department as well. Uh, very, um, uh, media, 
alert is the word I'm, I'm using. And sometimes you, you can't worry about that. You just got to do your job. You got to worry about the basketball part of it and not the reaction to what everything happens. Uh, but their culture has definitely gotten better. You know, I had a big part in that. Uh, and now the growth from there, uh, it still has to get better. And if that happens, then they have a chance. If it doesn't happen, Bill, it's not, they're not going to win. Like it has to keep growing. Yeah. Uh, he's not wrong about that, by the way, that the culture has to continue to get better. I think we saw it with Denver last night. Denver's a team that kept coming up short, but they didn't rock the boat. They kept the coach in place. They kept the key components in place. I think that's one thing that the Sixers have just had a, done a terrible job of. Sam Hankey's here. They push him out. Colangelo's here. They push him out. They bring it out in Brand. Um, they hand it over to Brett Brown. Brett Brown back to uh, to Elton Brand, and then Daryl Morey. One, two, three, four, five different guys making decisions. How many different roster configurations? You know, it's Embiid, it's Sarich, it's Simmons, it's Covington, it's Bellinelli, it's, you know, that crew, it's J.J. Reddick, then he's gone, then it's Butler and Harris, and then they're gone, and then it's Horford, and then he's gone. <laughs> I mean, it's a tough thing to overcome. It really is. One of the things that Doc Rivers said and somebody texted in earlier about this, that, oh, Simmons, uh, that Embiid, he's a ball hog, and he doesn't get other players involved. Well, Doc says they didn't get him involved enough. Basketball-wise, we got to get the ball to Joel Moore. And 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 trust me, we, we came out in plays where it, it was should have gone there, and it just didn't arrive there. Um, and so those are big plays. Now, listen, Joel was not having a great game, but neither was Tatum, and my belief is, so what? You still go through your guy and you keep letting him save the day for you. And I thought we went away from that. Yeah, he didn't think they gave the ball to Embiid enough. Some people saying Embiid, you know, ball hog, didn't pass. He's saying we didn't give it to him enough. So he said they got away from running the offense. And I think there'll be some more audio coming here. And I haven't heard all this audio, by the way. I didn't listen to the whole podcast. Uh, Josh cut this audio up before the show. So I didn't get a chance to sample a lot of this stuff. I'm hearing it for the first time like some of you guys. But if he's saying we got away from going to Embiid and the ball should have gone to Embiid more, but it just didn't get there, well, why? Why did it not get there? We'll get to that in a little bit, I guess. But he did explain, he was asked about what happened in Game 7 when you look back at that loss to Boston. First quarter, we were cooking. We were playing were. well. Ball was moving. Uh, everybody was involved. The only thing that worried me about that beginning is it was very little of Joel and none of James. And you knew at some point that you're two guys, your best players in game seven. You know, that's the Sam Cassell line. Big games, game seven, the stars have to lead the way. That doesn't mean it's going to be scoring. That doesn't mean they just have to. And you can feel early on that both were struggling a little bit. And, you know, it's not a lot you can do about it when, when that yeah. happens. Yeah, you go back to that game seven. He talked about we were cooking. We were cooking. Yeah, you're right. Those cooking were P.J. Tucker. He was the guy hitting the threes early in the game. And you take a look at what happened later on when you take those guys away and your role players, your secondary players aren't cooking like they were in the first quarter. You need your big dogs to step up and they didn't. 
Sports Bass Live 97.3 ESPN. Uh, Doc Rivers on the Bill Simmons podcast, you know, he explained something very interesting here. This one here is kind of interesting. He explained why it was easy for teams to game plan against the Sixers in his mind. You know, you heard him early talk about we need to get the ball to Embiid more. We didn't do a new enough job of getting Embiid the ball more. We called for it, but it didn't get there. Why is it so easy for teams to game plan against the Sixers? What makes James great is that he's one of the best individual players to ever play the game. Uh, you know, ball handling, handles the ball, you know, dribbles the ball, attacks. But that also allows you to attack. You know where you know where he's at and you know where the ball is at. And so in the playoffs, when teams are game planning against you each game, double teaming, taking the ball out of your hand, making it harder, it's easier uh, to do that to James compared to do that. How do you take Steph out of the game? Right. He's running around. He's moving. It's hard. Really interesting. Curry, movement without the basketball. Harden, a lot more. We've talked about this a lot. A lot more yo-yo, yo-yo, bounce, 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 bounce. And that brings us to this next comment that has kind of been making the rounds everywhere. You know, he said, hey, it's a lot easier to game plan against Harden in a playoff series. He doesn't move without the ball as much. He's kind of standing still. Can't get to the, you know, rack as much. Well, he was asked what it was like to coach James Harden. It was challenging, uh, more because we were fighting two things and not like visually fighting is that James is so good at playing one way and the way that I believe you have to play to win in some ways is different because it's a lot of giving up the ball, moving the ball, coming back to the ball. Uh, I would have loved to have him younger when that was easier for him because giving up the ball and getting back the ball is hard. Like it's physical, yeah. it's exhausting. Um, so it'd been interesting if I had him younger where he could have done that more, you know, coming off of dribble handoffs, going down the hill. You know, he didn't finish as well as he finished, um, because he's older and, th and that, that happens. Well, Doc admitted it right there. He's older. And I think that was the eye opening comment of thinking about bringing James Harden back is here's his former coach saying he's older. And then he said, look, James is so good at playing one way. And when he gives up the ball, trying to get the ball back is challenging. Why? Because he's older. He said it's physical. It's exhausting. Well, if it's physical and exhausting for James Harden to come pass, move, and then get the ball back, and then try to score, the Sixers really have to think long and hard whether or not they want to commit money and more years to James Harden. No questions about it. When you hear that comment there, He's older. I wish I had him when he was younger. And the other thing he said, he said he's so good at playing one way, but he couldn't play the way I believe you have to play to win games. So Harden, he's saying, I tried to get him to play this way. He talked about getting the ball to Joel. I called for the best. They didn't get the ball to Joel. This is where we blame the coach so much, and it's really the coach saying, hey, I wanted to get the ball to Joel more, and we didn't get it done. So did they want to get the ball to Joel more, or did they not get the ball to Joel, and he was asking for them to get the ball to Joel? These are the things that kind of get lost in the sauce. So what changed for the Sixers and Joel, excuse me, Harden, this season? I thought the first half of the year, you know, we, I thought we were the best team in, in the game. Uh, I thought James was playing perfect basketball. Like I he agree was with the, you. He was a point guard of the team. 
he was still scoring, but he was doing more playmaking and scoring. And then the second half, he started scoring more, trying to score more. And I thought we got stagnant at times. So I thought we changed. It's interesting. You know, he, he, as the year went on, he felt like the team got more stagnant. You would think as the season went on. And by the way, after I think it was the New Year or Christmas, they were like the best team record-wise in the NBA. But it's interesting to hear uh, Doc think that they were better early in the season and that they kind of regressed later on in the season. I guess that has more to do with the way that Harden kind of, you know, changed his game. So now that the season is over, what's next for this team? Doc Rivers on the Bill Simmons podcast was asked, look, Jokic has Murray. What type of player does Embiid need next to him? You need another alpha in the room. If Joe is not doing something to call Joe on, Joe, you got to do this. And Joe will listen to that, you know. He, what he about really offensively, does. though? Like, I, like what? what is the uh, offensive I would, fit? If I could pick the perfect guy without a name, it would be a big point guard who could score. And the reason is we need a playmaker other than Joel. And, and Maxi right now is more of a scorer. You yeah. know, he's a downhill scorer with speed. He said they need a big point guard who can score. Hmm. Wonder if they had one of those guys in the past. The scoring part was the problem, but a big point guard, they had a guy who was six foot ten. Interesting bite there. And I think, you know, I think we almost should play that one again. What type of player? Because you remember last week we played the bite from Monica McNutt. What type of player do they need? And she said they need a point guard. And Doc Rivers, again, let's hear him explain the type of player that they need. You need another alpha. In the room, if Joe is not doing something to call Joe on Joe, you got to do this, and Joe will listen to that. You know, he, what he about really offensively does. though? Like, I, like what? What is the uh, offensive? I would, fit? If I could pick the perfect guy without a name, it would be a big point guard who could score. And the reason is we need a playmaker other than Joel. And then Maxi right now is more of a scorer. You know, yeah. he's a downhill scorer with speed. We need a big playmaker who can score. He's not wrong about that. The guy who has the ball in his hands who can slash to the basket and get that tough bucket. He's absolutely right about what this team lacks. It's that guy who can put the ball on the floor and get to the basket and score. Maxi can do all those things. The problem is in the 82-game season, he can get to the rack and nobody's there. In the 16-game season, trying to get to the rack was a lot more challenging for Tyrese Maxey. Yeah, every now and then he can get to the rack, but not every night. In an 82-game season, nobody's really defending the rim the way they are in the playoffs. So Doc Rivers is 100% right when asked what type of player. He said an alpha, a guy in the room that can put the ball on the floor and score the basketball. Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. So what does Doc see from Maxi? What's the next step for him? The dude brings joy to every coach in the room. Every Like, you would love Tyrese Maxey. Just yeah. every day being Tyrese Maxey. But when we can free him up to just go score and be a great, you know, you can make a case like a Ginobili. Oh, you know, interesting. Who at, who at times was their point, you know, with his passing, gave them toughness, was an attacker was great off the ball, but that allowed Tony Parker to just go and be free. 
like someone in that category would be the perfect fit. So like team. a glue guy, playmaker. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So the maxi part, he said, hey, this is a guy that needs to be freed up to score like a Tony Parker was when he was in San Antonio. A lot of interesting audio from Doc Rivers kind of giving you the perspective now that he's not there anymore, right? Now that he's not in the building and has to answer to anybody about his answers, kind of give you a little bit more of a perspective. So what type of player does it be need next to him? A big point guard. Somebody typed in, uh, texted in. They had that. Al Horford. When did Al Horford play point guard? <laughs> did I miss something? Was Al Horford a point guard? Al Horford, uh, no point guard skills. Um, sorry. Sports Bash Live 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Download the app in the Apple Store or Google Play. Hey, I want to tell you about my friends over at Trio North Wildwood. You've been hearing me talk about those guys. I actually had somebody tweet at me last night that they had dinner at Trio North Wildwood. They said it was outstanding. And if you can't choose between a fine dining night with a stuffy, uptight vibe or a little casual meal, I got a blend of both. Trio North Wildwood solves the dilemma. They offer the perfect blend of both. Great atmosphere, 700 New Jersey Avenue, North Wildwood. Weekend's almost here. Tuesday, they'll be open Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday for your next meal this weekend. It's supposed to be great weather. So if you have a big party coming down or just a little date night for you and the lady, book your table on Resi and experience the casual fine dining of Trio North Wildwood, 700 North uh, New Jersey, North Wildwood, 700 New Jersey Avenue, trionw.com. I might kill this is the sports batch. All right, you heard from Doc Rivers. I thought that was some really good audio on the Bill Simmons pod. We come back. What about James Harden? Stephen A. Smith on the potential of James Harden actually landing in Houston. Is this really going to happen? That's coming up on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now, back to... Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. 5.31 on the Sports Bash. You just heard Doc Rivers what he thought. Bill chimes in on the text board. He says, Mike, interesting comments and great perspective. But Doc sounds like in his mind, Harden should not get a new deal. I agree. He also says, I wish he would have given some names on who he thinks they should target. Fred Van Vliet is interesting, Phil, because he said a big point guard. Fred Van Vliet, not big point guard. Here's the problem. How many big point guards are out there? Ben Simmons, one. Not too many guys are big playmaking point guards. It sounds like they had the guy... The problem was he didn't have him in the right mindset. Ben Simmons is the guy that physically, skill set wise, would have been a great fit for Joel Embiid. They were one of the most efficient duos in the NBA. 
during the regular season. The problem is Simmons lacked one major attribute. He didn't shoot the ball. He also wilted in big moments. You need in beat uh Simmons size skill set, but you need a guy like Jimmy Butler inside his head. Can you imagine if Jimmy Butler was Ben Simmons with his skill and size? Unfortunately, you can't do that. So what about James Harden? Big point guard, 6'6", 6'5", guy who can score, he can shoot. Stephen A. Smith explained why Houston is actually, yes, in play for Harden this offseason. When James Harden wanted out the door, James Harden basically said, I am more than open to coming back. Just let me get away and give me an opportunity to try and win a championship because clearly you guys mm. are moving in a different direction and we're not going to have a team to win a championship. Houston obliged with the understanding that if there was an accord that could be reached down the line, they would be receptive to bringing him back and he would be receptive to coming back because obviously mm. as an organization, they treated him well, he treated them well. And that's where all of this comes from. You know, one of those things like, hey, we'll trade you if you come back to us. Is that what that kind of sounds like? But Stephen A. Smith questions if Houston will pay Harden what he wants. He just wants his money. And you're thinking if there's one organization that will give you the money, it'll be them. Well, I would say to you that ain't going to happen. Because after watching him in these post, in this postseason, they might be willing to give him a two-year deal. They ain't willing to give him a four-year deal, particularly at max dollars. And so because of that, I really don't see that happening. But everybody that's acting like they don't know, let me erase that right now. Stop acting like you don't know. I just told you what happened. He wanted out. And he basically made an agreement with them and they made an agreement with him that it is something that we would try to work out in the future. If we let you go now for a couple of years, you go someplace else, you try to capture that championship, then you could potentially come back. If we're interested in you, you're interested in us, we can have a conversation. That's what this is all about right now, because that's what it took for James Harden to get the hell out of Houston to begin with. Since they wouldn't send him directly to Philadelphia, the next option was joining KD and Kyrie in Brooklyn. Yeah, so what kind of money will it take to get him there? You know, one of the interesting things about where James Harden is, is in a situation where if you ask, this is where I, I find this whole thing, you know, has been interesting. over. And I said um, before, we are in June 13th. Between now and the opening of free agency – You're going to get all sorts of different things. And I was listening to the Hoops Hype podcast with um, uh, Kelly Eco, who covers the uh, the Rockets. And he was saying, you know, about James Harden's free agency. He says, like, you know, when you talk to people in Houston, (laughs) that you'll get two sides of the story. He said, you talk to some guys in the organization, they're confident that Embiid – Harden will return. And you have other people in the organization who are skeptical that he'll return. Then he says you talk to people close to Harden, his buddies, there are some of them that say he's coming back to Houston. And then there's others that say, eh, I don't know how much he wants to go back to Houston. Then Eco said he talked to current Rockets. Current Rockets players said, yeah, we think he's coming back. And then he asked other Rockets players, and he said, eh, we're a little skeptical. 
The one thing we know is that Harden doesn't tell anybody anything. He beats to the beat of his own drum. He knows one thing, James Harden, that he's not going to be a free agent and have a chance to be lured and wooed anymore. This is it. So, does he get the bag or does he want the ring? We're about to find out. But if you ask half the people in the room, he'll be back in Houston. You ask the other half of the people in the room, eh, we're not so sure. One thing that Kelly Eco, who covers the Rockets from the Athletics, said, he said, I don't think the Rockets are willing to give him the max, but that they would pay him 30 to $33 million, somewhere in that range. So the question is, Will the Sixers be willing to pay more than 30 to 33 million? That is really the big, big question here. Do the Sixers want to pony up the max money? Because the Rockets, they can't pay as much as the Sixers can. The Sixers are, have the ability to pay the most money because you can re-sign your own players. It's not much more, but it is more. And the Sixers can just end this thing if they want and say, hey, why don't you come back here four years? I think it's $212 million is the number that the Sixers can offer James Harden. But if you're given Harden, here's the problem for Houston, as Kelly Eco kind of explained and mapped out. They want to add multiple veteran players. We've heard names like um, Brooke Lopez, um, Dylan from um, Dylan Brooks from uh, Memphis, guys like that. They want to get three or four veteran players to kind of get around these younger players. Now, the owner Tillman Fertitta down there, he's used to winning with the Harden teams. He wants to get the building back to those years. If you give Harden the max money, $45, $50 million, you can't bring those other veterans in. So the next question becomes, what does Harden think about Nick Nurse? Now, Kelly Eco, who covers the Rockets for the Athletics, said that Nurse met with both Daniel House and James Harden. Now, Daniel House already opted back into his contract. So when it comes to James Harden, what does Harden think about Nurse? And is that a big factor? He's a very big family guy. He's big on the community and his quality of life, according to Eco. These are some of the things that he is contemplating when he thinks about Houston. And Kelly Eco ultimately said, if you ask him personally, he said he thinks James is coming back. But he's also mentioned in the podcast that he's not there in the room where he's getting a deal. He did stress that James Harden kind of moves to the beat of his own drum, someone that I said earlier. But... um. I think this all comes down to what the Sixers offer 
How much are the Sixers going to put on the table for him? And who makes the first move? Who makes the first offer to James Harden? Is it Houston or is it Philadelphia? 609-403-0973. 609-403-0973. That's the text message. If you want to jump in, if you're listening on the free mobile app, you can text us through the app on your phone. Those are some of the things. I thought it was a really um, interesting perspective on Harden's mindset and how hard this is to read. You have half the people in Houston thinking he's coming back. The other half saying, eh, I don't think so. And that's just the way that Kelly Eco maps it out, is that he is one of the more close-to-the-vest people to cover in the entire league. Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN, the free mobile app. Might go with you till the top of the hour tonight. Don't forget, game night is there. And uh, we've got the Stanley Cup Finals tonight, which could also end tonight. Last night, we had the NBA Finals end. We could have a, a finish to the NHL season tonight as well. Vegas leads Florida three games to one. Phillies tonight, we'll uh, take a look at the Phils. I don't think the lineup is going to be out by the time the show ends. But a couple thoughts on the Phils. They actually just made a pitching move. Nothing huge, but uh, stick around. I got that for you. Coming up on the Sports Bash Live 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. You can download the app at the Apple Store or Google Play. Uh, a couple text messages I'll answer between now and the end of the show. Philly thoughts as well. This is the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. Tom. Now, back to more Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. South Jersey's sports leader. 547, get ready to wrap up a Tuesday night sports bash. Got a couple text messages to empty out of the bag here before we get rolling. 609-403-0973. 609-403-0973. Mike, what do you think Harden does? Joey D and Ventner. What's up, Joey D? Mike, what do I think Harden does? Uh, I think he leaves. No, I think he stays. I have no idea, man. I, I have no idea. I mean, you just heard what we talked about with that podcast with Kelly Eco, who covers the Rockets from The Athletic. And he said, yes, half the people in the Rockets organization, they think he's coming. They think half the other half, they think he's not coming. You ask the players, half think he's there, half think he's coming, half think he's not. You ask people in his own inner circle. Half think he's going. The other half don't know. What do I think he does? He takes the money. I'm having a hard read on what the Sixers are going to do with the money. They're going to offer him the full bag. Are they going to say, we want this guy back here? I can't imagine if I'm Josh Harris that I am signing off a check for that kind of money. I have to think, though, that Daryl Morey is at least trying. Don't you? I think Maury's trying to explain to Harden why he's never going to get paid by the Sixers as much as he wants to get paid. I think that's probably what the conversation has to be, right? Like Maury's got to be like, "Look, man, you're you're not you're not 28 and 30 years old anymore." You're- yeah, but if I'm just to play devil's advocate here, and I, yeah. I agree, you're not 28, 29 years old anymore. 
But if I'm James Harden and I'm trying to fight for myself here, I would say, Daryl, I've led the league in assists last year. You're acting like I, I, I don't have it anymore. I led the league in assists, and I played the way that Doc wanted me to play. You heard what Doc said. He said he could play that way, but he's got to play a different way, the way that I think you need to win a championship. Well, if I'm James Harden, I say, I played his way and scored 21 points and led the league in assists playing his way. Let me play my way. Problem is that we let you play your way for two games in the postseason and then win. No, you let me play my way twice and we did win. I scored 42 points and then I had 45 points. Yeah, and then we lost the series. Yeah, but I played the way that I could because I won the game when I didn't have Joel Embiid. I showed that I can win the game playing my way. You told me without Joel Embiid to play my way, I scored 45 points. You told me I had to win the game, I scored 42 points. Now, of course, your retort is where were you in game seven? Where were you in game six? All right, listen, I didn't play great in those games, but you're telling me over an 82-game season – that's what these guys get paid for. They get paid for the 82 game season. Because you gotta fill the seats. You gotta fill the stadium. You gotta fill the 82 game schedule. Now, the playoffs is what really puts you over the top. But you are pushing your 82 game resume. When you are trying to get these contracts, it's about what you do mostly over the 82. Because that's every night. That is every game, every night. And James Harden would say, listen, you don't think 21 points and leading the league in assists is worth bringing back? Really? All right. I'm just playing the other side here. I mean, yeah. somebody asked a question on on the text board. Mike, what would you do with Harden if he was demanding a four-year deal? I'd say, James, I'm not saying that you can't still play. I know you can still play. I just don't think you're the same player to get max money. And that's not a knock on you. I think you've had a great, um, you've been a great part of our organization. We didn't get it done. I can't give you four years. I can't do it. You can't because the problem is, is that yes, you get paid in theory of what you do in the regular season statistically. But the problem is, is that this organization is at a point in time where the regular season doesn't really matter as much as it used to. It doesn't, but at the same time, it is the biggest sample size we have on these players. True. It is the biggest sample size that you get on the player. And that's part of the problem, and that is your sample size is purely based on something that may not matter when it matters the most. The one thing that Doc Rivers said, and this is why I think Embiid, um, that Harden is not the, 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 the answer here. Doc Rivers said Joel needs a big point guard, an alpha player, a guy who can score and get a bucket. Harden is not that guy anymore. And to me, that's why the answer to the question that the text message asked, four years for Harden, he's not the right guy in the 16 games for Embiid. He might be the right guy in the 82 games for Embiid, but he's not the right guy for the 16 games for Embiid, and that's the problem. Yeah, because at the end of the day, if the goal is to win a championship, then Harden leading the league in assists in the regular season, but then he doesn't show up in game six or seven, it's not a good look. 
No. Of course, you need the 42-point game in game six or seven, not in game one and game five. Game five. three, I believe. Was it was game three or game four you had the big 40. No, you had game one, two, three, four. Game, game, game four. Game four. Yeah, because it went to overtime in that game. Scored 45 in the first By game. By the way, he was great in game five even without scoring a ton of points. If he would just play the game five the rest of the series, they would have won. 17 points, 10 assists he had in game five. But the turnovers, the turnover issue was a huge problem for him in the games they lost. By the way, this year he had the best assist-to-turnover ratio of his career. Might have been the best in the league. I don't remember if that's 100% accurate. But guess what? The turnovers came back to bite him in the postseason. Um, yeah, in some of the games. The last two, anyway. He had 10 turnovers in two games. Yeah, that's, that's unacceptable. you got to get that number down over two games to four. Yeah. If you're um, averaging two turnovers a game, anybody can live with that. Phillies, by the way, signed uh, Jake Thompson. Remember him? Didn't he pitch for the team like five years ago? 2018, he was on the team. Was he on the Rangers for a minute? They got him from the Rangers. They got him from the Rangers. I think in the trade for Cole Hamels. Okay. So the Phillies are really digging, really reaching right now. Um, Phillies tonight, it's... Uh, Wheeler going tonight, right? I thought so. Wheeler tonight. Is it Wheeler tonight? Yeah, it's Wheeler tonight, right? That's best, like Yeah, Wheeler. Wheeler for Zach Davies. Zach Davies is almost a five year late, isn't he? Um, yeah, four, six, eight. Look, Phillies need to split this series. That's what they have. The Phillies need to get ten runs off of Davies tonight. Give Wheeler a win. I don't think the Phillies line. What time did the lineup come out last night? Do you remember? It was around like six thirty last night. All right, so listen to game night for the lineup tonight. I'm back tomorrow. We are the Sports Pass live on 97.3 ESPN. Stanley Cup Finals tonight, seven thirty. I think Vegas closes that out too. Have a great night. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.